and shine campers here we are the first ever episode episode number one the inaugural episode of the halloween is forever podcast welcome we're, we're doing it guys we are here to party we are fully here this is our first ever episode and go kayaking we are oh man and archery <laughs> archery <laughs> there's multiple instances of archery that go horribly wrong we're going to talk about them in this episode uh welcome to the first ever episode of halloween is forever where we pick a topic and listen to three mutant horror nerds rip each other's guts out on our way to deciding whose favorite flick reigns supreme we're here. I like We're being doing called it. a mutant. It feels the most appropriate thing. Yeah, I mean, it's I feel just like it's I'm a, at home on this it's podcast. A, it's a flattering term. It's a term <laughs> of endearment. I get um, it. But yeah, so uh, so we're going to jump into it. In case you haven't uh, listened to the intro episode, uh, what what the fuck are you doing? We literally recorded it for you to get the details. Are you not going to? You're going to not listen to it, and then you're going to sit here and ask us questions about the format of the show. I'm, <laughs> Projecting on the listener already. Um, we're going to talk about. It's always good uh, to assault the audience first, Brian. Right off the bat, <laughs> I need to set a tone that I'm not going to take any of your shit. Okay. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, our first episode uh, where we're each going to pick. Uh, if you didn't listen to that intro episode, uh, again, I'm already borderline furious with you, uh, but we are going to each pick uh, our favorite film or one of our favorite films or uh, particularly poignant or decisive film for us individually that relates to the topic. We're going to argue it. We're going to probably talk about beer. Um, we're probably going to talk about uh, blood and guts and all manner of things like that as well. And then we're going to eventually try to decide uh, who whose pick is, uh, is, is the best. So um, in case you didn't, um, pick it up from that uh, just whimsical, uh, delightful little intro that we had. Uh, our first episode is Camp Slashers. How do we feel about this topic? Are we excited for it? Oh, I'm it super is. here for it. Yeah, I we we talked about this on the intro episode as well. I think we talked about it on social media. We're going to rely on social media friends. We're going to rely on listeners to kind of give us some of those um, topics in the future. But we thought, you know what? Um, everyone, first of all, everyone knows the very well-known podcast parlance, getting one in the can. Everyone knows that. Everyone who's ever done a podcast knows Everybody that. Everybody got it. Um, we got one. We got to get one in the can here. So we picked our first uh, topic. And we thought, you know what? In, in, in real time here, we're, we're cruising into Memorial Day weekend. Summer's right around the corner. Uh, you know, I got my flip, my flippy floppies on. I'm drinking some <laughs> summery beers. Uh, the first thing you know, I I've think. I've never of, been to summer camp before. I haven't either. That's probably an interesting topic. We, maybe we should talk about before we jump. Has have any of you been? Steve, well, Meg hasn't. Steve, have you been to summer camp? Oh, I think campers. We should sound off. It's. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately think of the introductory. Like, I would love to start this with the introductory song to Salute Your Shorts. Yeah. For those of you who can't see me, I have that big, giant, like, blob of sunscreen on my nose, like, ugly right now. Uh, I've got my flip-flops. Uh, we're ready to party. 
Yeah, I, I totally did summer camp. Did I was you? A, yeah, I was a Boy Scout way, okay. way, way 20 years ago, however long ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I was a Boy Scout, so we did so summer camp. So did you camp. go to like full on, like go stay in bunks for weeks, months on mm-hmm. end kind of thing? Nice. It was, it was, it was, uh, it wasn't bunks. It was um, like, it was dirty ass cots on nice. pallets with canvas, <laughs> uh, with like canvas over as a tent. It yeah, was, yeah, it was pretty brutal. But uh, I think you were a child soldier, Steve. I don't how, think that's camp. Yeah, yeah. Okay. How many patches did you get? <laughs> we had our AK forty-seven. It was just normal camp. <laughs> I had I had my bow and arrow. I had my rifle. I had my knife. You pretty much had every patch that all of the serial killers and all of these all of these movies had. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. And then I also know how to swim, and I have a wallet that I made from. <laughs> was it made random from bits. like uh, duct tape? Yeah, no, it was uh, made from leather, whatever quote-unquote leather might be. <laughs> oh. It was made from... Did you kill the animal to make that, too? That's I didn't really see it happen. To me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I never went, uh, unfortunately. I grew up in a very rural environment where, like, we, we did a lot of camping. We never went to summer camp. So your but, life was actually summer camp. Yeah, kind of. My my parents in the summertime just went, go sit in the creek, um, <laughs> which is literally what we did. So we actually, interestingly enough, we had a very, and my, my parents still live in the house I grew up in, right up the road, like a quick jaunty bike ride up the, up the road uh, past just uh, several pastures is um, a very, like, fairly well-known, I don't even know if it's still open, actually, YMCA camp called Camp Conaqui. And for those of you who are in the, the greater Pittsburgh area, um, it's where a bunch of, like, city kids, like, that used to come out. So there'd be all these, like, kids from the city would come out and spend, like, weeks at Camp Conaqui, and it was right up the road from our house. Um, and so me, my brother, like, the neighborhood kids – we were like the the deliverance, you know, creepy kids <laughs> just sitting in the creek staring at them from the bank. Cause we used to sit and swim and fish in the in the creek that that went right along Camp Conaqui. So we'd see all these kids out there like in their, you know, matching multicolored shirts, like it's fucking wild and crazy kids out there. And we would just be sitting in the creek like with a chaw and being like, wish we could go to summer camp. I guarantee you the other kids, when they went back to their bunks at night, thought like, are those kids going to come back and kill us tonight? (laughs) So it was kind of a role reversal for me personally. Great. So you you understand most of the killers from these films. Yeah, I I do. I um I... You probably you probably were the ones making up the stories that then got to the camp. Yeah. And that scared the heck and then you're like you're the one tapping on their window. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the, I'm the one sticking noises. a bloody knife in their door for them to discover in the morning. <laughs> right. Hey, I didn't say it, you did, bud. <laughs> now, how did the ca- the counselors of these camps not come to you and you know hire you to come scare the kids for you know whatever spooky tales they were telling that is actually a great idea because we would have done it in a goddamn second um because yeah. we were very jealous that we couldn't go to camp and like i said there's all these 
these kids, you know, like I said, they, for us, we were like, man, these city kids coming out here and coming in our <laughs> crick. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I was I, taking all our mud bugs. All of you have straw in your mouth. Too. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. No, but I'm not kidding. We definitely, there was definitely a time uh, where I was just standing in the creek, staring at them, wearing just cut off <laughs> jean shorts. And they were probably like, what the fuck? Who is you know what's funny though about this for me is that, you know, having a vivid imagination here. I just imagine you now as an adult doing that. <laughs> with, a, with a beer gut, just sticking my finger in my belly button. Start throwing funny beer camp. cans at them. You kids got a s'more you might part ways with. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I actually don't know. I think the camp's closed now. I'm not sure. But, uh, but yeah, Camp Camp Quantiqui. Shout out to Camp Quantiqui. Uh, all Ian's Quantiqui. Conoquineers? I don't know. Conoquineers? I don't know. In any case, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about camp slashers here. Um, before we jump in, uh, we probably should, should mention at the top because I'm definitely going to forget later. Uh, if you like the show uh, or if you just like spooky things and, and horror movies and all, all manner of macabre, type of stuff go over and head on to uh, our, our social media we've got uh uh hallow at halloween is forever on instagram uh where that one's been up for a while that's something i've been running for for a couple of years but then you know in just what the last few weeks we started a twitter account faith twitter we're at hallow forever uh we have halloween is forever facebook page and then uh if you got some some questions some comments some concerns some suggestions uh reach out to us on any of those out uh, uh, uh i guess uh social media platforms or shoot us a uh, a note at uh, halloween is forever pod at gmail.com because like i said we are going to be taking uh all of our suggestions for future episode topics uh, from from some of those platforms moving forward, right? I think it's also fair to say that I think it'd be cool for the get like listeners to weigh in. We all choose the movie. Oh we yes, we get to vote. You know, tell us tell us if we if we made the right choice. Mm-hmm. If the champion should keep their belt or not. I like that. I like that idea. And and if you know if you if you don't know what we're talking about with a championship belt, again, go back and listen to the intro episode. Or suffice it to say, we're going to have a fucking championship belt, a physical belt that we're going to carry around. <laughs> I'm going to wear it to Giant Eagle. I'm definitely going to uh, not be wearing a shirt. I'll I'm mask up if need be. Where Eagle video is the <laughs> entire time. <laughs> hey, I got my goddamn card. I got my membership card. I'm here to rent. I'm here to rent or buy. Um, Where's the chip chop ham? <laughs> well, I know where the chip chop ham is. I know where it is. In your yeah. belly. <laughs> yeah, it's all over Stop. my beer. It's all, all of it's, it's in, in his my belly beer. button. It's in your beer. <laughs> all right. Um, well, let's jump into it. Like I said, the, the topic is is camp slashers. Like we said, we're not going to necessarily. We're not saying these are. You know, well, maybe we are. We'll. we'll I want to. Won't put words in anybody's mouth, but um, we we are going to talk about um, individual films that, for whatever reason, uh, you know, left a lasting in, impression on us. So the first thing we're going to do, go around the horn here. That's another podcast term. In case you guys know, I'm a podcast <laughs> pro. I know all the terminology. I'm learning so much <laughs> on this podcast. We're going around the horn. Oh going around the horn here. Going around the horn here, we're going to talk about our picks for camp slashers. Does anybody 
uh, want to go first uh, before uh, uh, before we we talk maybe a little about some beer pairings or something? Do we Anybody do wants not to talk? It? Is that is that the appropriate oh. thing? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> So, and for those of you who can't see us, which is everybody, <laughs> Steve did uh, was last. Steve lost. It. Steve yeah. was Steve was taking a drink, and Steve lost real quick. <laughs> nice job, drinking jerk. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so yeah, I'll go completely first, and I will introduce my film. The film that I picked for this very first episode is "Nobody Sleeps in the Woods Tonight," Ooh. which is from twenty twenty, written and directed by Bartosz Kowalski. And then it's also starring a bunch of people with Polish names that I can't pronounce. I, I if you want me to try, I will butcher them. Uh, I would like just me. one, but the longest and most okay. convoluted name. Okay, so the longest and most convoluted one is actually belonging to the main star, and she plays uh, Zoja Wolska. But her name in real life is Julia, and this is where it gets to a bunch of vowels. <laughs> Vienna Anawa. Narkezowitz. Holy that was shit seven balls. syllables. That's a tremendous amount of syllables. <laughs> that's a tremendous amount of syllables. Yeah, and that's that's a, uh, it's a, bunch. a Polish <laughs> Polish film, right? Yes. Yeah. So everybody. It, yeah, it is a new one, and it's yeah. everybody has Polish names, and so they're all hard to pronounce. But you can watch it on Netflix uh, with an English dub, so you know you can do that, or you can watch it subbed. Uh, it is billed as Poland's first slasher film, though. Yeah, that, it's an issue. I'm excited to talk about this one because I uh, saw, saw, saw it for the first time recently. Yeah, I want to make a note, too, about the dubs, which was great, was that the dubs between the uh, subtitles were not the same, and it was hilarious. <laughs> okay. It is interesting. I'm, I, I'm eager to talk about that as well, yeah, because that, that, that took me off guard. That took me off guard. But you know what? Interesting pick, Steve. I'll say, first of all, yeah. coming out of the gate, episode number one, ballsy pick. Picking a yeah. film, uh, a genre that is undeniably steeped in the 1980s, and yeah. going right. straight 2020. First, break. right, right. I have I have reasons behind it, but he's the filmmaker here, so he knows he knows these things, yeah. so he can make these balls. Uh, yeah, yeah. You I and like I, it. on the other hand, nope. I'm gonna say I hope you know I'm going to the 80s, and I am probably gonna be the stand for the 80s. Uh, uh, Friggin' schlocky uh, garbage for most episodes, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, but uh, so um, I'll go next. Uh, I'll, I'll announce my next. Uh, and again, exactly like Meg said, I'm extremely predictable. I'm going in the 80s. I'm going a, a classic of the genre. I don't think I went um, as predictable as I could have. Uh, I was between three movies. No, I did that. I did and that I ended up deciding. Uh, you didn't do Friday the 13th, though, That's right? That's true. That's true. That's to say. As long as you didn't pick Friday, <laughs> something from the Friday franchise. And I actually, in the recent years, have come to appreciate this movie a lot more. But in any case, I went with uh, a little, a jaunty little flick from the year of our Lord, 1981, The Burning. If you've not seen it, we're going to get deep on The Burning. Have you both seen The Burning? I had seen I had seen well, The I Burning before. Yeah. We all have now, but yeah, I had yeah. actually seen it before this. Uh, it was a it was on a Prime video, and I just kind of clicked on it. Yeah, and man, I got some thoughts about this. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> it is a polarizing one, but yeah, yeah I, 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 I'm gonna get ahead of myself. You no, know, I went in a virgin, so this is your first watch for the burning. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. I actually, I, again, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but you know, some of these movies I've seen 
you know, been watching since I was a kid. I probably didn't mm-hmm. watch this movie for the first time until maybe like five years ago. Yeah. And, I, and this was only, I want to say only like the third time I've, I've watched it, but I, yeah. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Meg, what, what's, what's your pick? Well, I went with the 1983 classic Sleepaway Camp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, always, always a fun wild card to throw in there. Yeah. Uh, directed by Robert Hilzik. Mm-hmm. Hilzik. Yeah, I'm going to go with that. Um, what I, That's all right. He's a lawyer now. Don't I worry. I know. I was like, <laughs> he ain't doing nothing. And it no. sounds like even subsequently he didn't really do anything besides the sequel. So I'm like, yeah. that's kind of kind of cool and interesting but even it seems like most of the cast really didn't do too much stuff. yeah they, they no. had careers, but nothing notable you're like okay yeah it was the uh, it was the look on angela's face that i think really did it for her yeah i am going yeah and felissa rose i'm i uh i for anybody who's been at like a convention anytime you know where she's there she's a blast she's like the like the the, the the star of the show every time she's the life of the party she's rad and she'll do the face even oh, if yeah. you don't a- even if you don't ask her she's just awesome <laughs> she just walks around the entire time doing the look yeah she does she, she does every time you take a picture she'll do it if you yeah she's she's a blast but i will be lying if i said that that was not one of the ones i strongly considered picking as well i love i love, I love it there was it was on a short list for me as well it's just yeah yeah. It, it, it is a classic, so it's going to be hard to defend ourselves, Brian, against it. That's kind of what I was thinking. That's kind of what I was thinking. I'm prepared, I'm you know, prepared I to, to try. I just go yeah. for the throw. <laughs> just go straight for the jug. Um, so before we jump into uh, actually talking about our individual movies and why we love them so much and why they should reign supreme, um, let's talk a little bit about um, – some potential beer pairings. As we talked about uh, a little earlier and on the intro episode, we all uh, touch the beer industry or work in the beer industry in some capacity. Um, So we're all big beer nerds. So I thought it would be fun if we did a a little kind of mini segment every episode where we talk about a beer that we feel would pair particularly well with the experience of of watching our individual movies. Does anybody feel strongly about jumping in first with uh, with with theirs? I'm kind of happy with mine. I mean, I, I definitely had like a runner up, but I mm-hmm. wanted to go with something that just made me feel like I was at summer camp in a very cliche way. It was and the beer you like... used to chug at summer camp. Champ, summer <laughs> camp when you were a kid. When you were the summer. You... The summer camp that was in my mind when I was sitting in my room in the summertime to be all alone. When not at the... summer camp. When you were the summer summer camp chugging champ, this is what <laughs> you chugged. So, that's good. That's good. I went with uh, Rainbow Sherbert by Prairie Artisan Ales because I was like, you know what? what do you look forward to? You're like always eating ice cream at the end of the night. My other option, I guess, is a runner up and was Evergreen Sorbetto, like one of the flavors that kind of was more – uh, like with, I was thinking one of the ones that would have blackberry in it, but it always has marshmallows. So I'm just always thinking, I'm like, ooh, campfire, but also summer and fruit kind of going together. And that was mm-hmm. probably the best description as a brewer I could have ever <laughs> said about that. But <laughs> Rainbow Sherbet Rain Supreme in my mind for my movie. 
I like that. Yeah, I didn't. I, I, I why my head didn't go to marshmallow is mm-hmm. dumb because that makes very make sense. But yeah, <laughs> it's a tasty one. Tasty one. So it sounds like Brian, you picked something that wasn't marshmallow. So that means you definitely didn't pick any decadent ales. No, I did not. What did what did you pick then? <laughs> I picked uh, a little beer that I actually tried for the first time not that long ago. A friend of mine from California, which uh, who who I trade beers with quite uh, often, um, sent me mostly what I asked him to send me is Anagrin Brewing Company. Uh, if you're not familiar with Anagrin, they do a ton of classic uh, German styles, a little bit of Czech style stuff as well, but. For the most part, really fantastic lager beers, uh, traditionally brewed lager beers. Um, and I had a beer recently from them called Blonde Fire, uh, which is kind of their smoked Hellas. And, you know, really super drinkable. There was kind of two I was picking up. That one or another smoked Hellas I had recently. All of a sudden, I'm super psyched because people were drinking and brewing smoked Hellas because I love smoked beers. And all of a sudden, you know, and typically it's, you know, kind of more traditional Rauch beer. It's like a Merton or Bach beer base with smoked malts, right? So it's this big, like, loaf of bread in a glass, you know, going really savory with it. But um, I've seen, like, five or six different smoked Hellas and Kolsch beers in, in recent weeks. And these are two of the best ones I've had. Um, the Ennegrin Blondfire and or, and or Notch lost in the dream notch brewing is in salem massachusetts they started shipping to pennsylvania during covid and i um i think i exclusively drank their beer for like three months i think i still um, have a few of theirs yeah their but stuff I do have is to make so good a note that i feel like i love the name for blonde fire and i feel like it should be my new nickname blonde fire yeah <laughs> we all agree on this <laughs> The difference between the two beers is Notch is like it's it's decocted, it's richer, it's it's more. It it almost reminds you of a bigger kind of chewier, but it's still a pale lager, it's still sessionable. And then um, the smoke is much more pronounced. It's that like big, you know, aggressive beechwood smoked, you know, classic kind of route beer type of thing. The Blonde Fire is much more subtle. It's almost. I mean, it's definitely a pronounced smoke character, but it's one of those ones where, like, after half a pint, you almost forget it's a smoked beer a little mm, bit, which yeah. which is just, you know. So when I think, you know, smoked beer, especially like lightly smoked beer, I'm thinking about, like, the the scent of smoke on your clothes after a bonfire, you know, at, uh, I guess, a summer camp. I don't know. Um, in any case, uh, th- those, those are the ones I went with. Right on. Uh, for me, I simply went Tiske. It's, it's, it's you went stand- Polish. You went straight up yeah. Polish with it. Nice. Yeah, it's <laughs> Tiske, the standard Polish pilsner, the, yeah. the light beer. Uh, yeah, you're not going to find too many surprises with it. It's not going to be uh, too out of anybody's wheelhouse, and it's kind of a standard bearer as far as I know when it comes to like importing into other countries. I know it gets around. So, yeah, I feel like that represents my film pretty well, yeah. being that it's the first slasher film. There's nothing too, too surprising about the film, but, uh, yeah, you, you can sit down with a Tiske and enjoy it with, uh, nobody sleeps in the woods tonight. I actually have a, a lot of fond memories of that beer because I worked for, for Miller Brewing for like seven years and they imported, mm-hmm. uh, to, um, to the U S and there's a big giant, really awesome, really fun Polish festival in Milwaukee. 
when I lived oh. in Milwaukee at the Milwaukee fairgrounds where like uh, Summerfest and everything is like the big, you know, music festival there. And uh, my wife's, uh, my mother-in-law's family is super Polish and uh, she would come up and, you know, we take the kids and go and, you know, my wife and her and, you know, our kids will walk around and uh, drink a bunch of beer and take the kids on rides and stuff like that. So that's a, when it's fresh, man, it's a great beer. Great beer. I never had it fresh. <laughs> that's the problem. <laughs> and that brings us to the problem. It's never, ever fresh. Um, never had it, it fresh. <laughs> In any case, uh, so yeah, some some lovely uh, beer pairings. So if you're thinking about going out and checking out these slicks, um, before we jump into talking about them, um, pause your episode. You know, I guess spoil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. spoiler alert because we're definitely going to spoil the shit out of this. Um, maybe just pause now. Go watch three movies back to back to back. Drink <laughs> yep. all three of the beers, then come back, then listen to us talk about. Them. But I feel like we're just presuming that no one who's listening is probably has a life. Which, I mean, <laughs> might be accurate. Do we have lives. any beers that we're consuming now that we want to talk about? Um. I'd love to talk about how much I love Wayfinder. I just took a trip to Oregon and um, I was in Portland and one of my favorite places to go is Wayfinder. Kind of similar like how you like use is an Ennegrin. Like they make a lot of nice traditional lager style beers. Very like, and they're so clean and crisp and you can just like super crushable and just like, meeting them and knowing like the thought and the quality that goes into it is really cool. But I even then just, I feel like the metal head in me is just like loves all of their artwork and all of their collabs with like metal artists they do. So I'm drinking their collapse Kolsch style ale. Mm, nice. Little Kolsch, little Kolschy boy. boy. Nice. Steve, what are you, what are you drinking this evening? Well, all my beer's gone. But uh, <laughs> earlier, I was drinking. Uh, I was drinking Rusty Rail Strange Love, which was a uh, key lime uh, kind of gold nail. It, it, for just a basic breakdown, it seems like a gold nail with lactose and key lime. Kind of desserty. It's yeah, you know, pretty good. Uh, earlier in the day, though, for lunch, I had a Burial Surf Wax IPA. Ooh. And yes, that's a very a good beer. <laughs> I went with, oh, that, I think, I don't know if that's, is that a hazy one? Um, I didn't, I was just drinking out of the can. I yeah. didn't check. I can't I remember. Assume. I've had a couple of their beers, but I don't know, I, I don't know which of their IPs I've had, but I've gen, gen, generally felt good about it. Yeah. A lot, a lot of burial is, uh, uh unfiltered, mm-hmm. but they're not like soft yeah. when it comes to flavor is, yeah. Gotcha. I'm I'm going uh, I'm going kind of old school here. I'm going with the the, the straw of amber. Uh, I'm going with a little a little point three liter. Uh, I got the dovetail point three liter little. I've been affectionately re- referring to the point three liter glasses as little cuties. <laughs> trying, trying to trying to get that to stick, so I got a little little cute little, pints. Yeah, little I got, cute pints. <laughs> I got a little I got a little little cutie of straw amber here. And every sip, you're gonna start talking more like a yinzer. Mm, oh yeah, <laughs> we already talked about eagle video at least once tonight. So yeah, it's going down. I think we've uh, we've exhausted our beer talk for the time being. Let's jump into these these freaking movies, you guys. Um, so we've already talked a little bit ahead of time. Um, and I drew the short straw, so I'm going to go first and I'm going to talk a little bit about the burning. 
Um, so like I said, 1981, this is one of those movies that came out in the, um, you know, there was a million of them that came out in like 1980 to 1982, which were all just, let's capitalize on this new genre, right? 78 Halloween came out, uh, you know, uh, and everyone was like, just holy shit, let's, let's slam as many slasher movies into the theaters and onto, uh, uh, you know, VHS and, and Betamax and Laserdisc and whatever other formats are out there for the next 10 years uh, and, and try to make a buck off of them. Um, I'd say this probably falls into that category, although uh, I'll get into it a little bit more. I think this one stands above the rest for a handful of reasons, and you may disagree with. You're probably going to disagree with me. But the first thing uh, I'll talk a little bit about is the director, uh, Tony Malin. So n- name did not ring a bell. Uh, I talk, like I talked about, this was a movie that, you know, the Friday the 13th franchise sleepaway camp. Like I've been watching these movies since at least since high school, if not since, you know, I was 10 or 12 years old. Right. This movie, I just like, it was always kind of in the subconscious. I'd seen it in magazines and on, you know, uh, I remember in college seeing it on, like somebody post something about it on MySpace and, and trying to find it. And I could not find a physical copy of it. And obviously we didn't have, you know, access to streaming and stuff like that. Um, so I was, uh, I knew about it for honestly, probably a five, no more than that, probably eight, nine years before I actually saw it. So I've only seen it in the last five years, but I probably watched it three times since then. And, uh, so first time I actually looked up the director, not someone I was very familiar with. He hasn't done a lot. He's done a lot of like documentaries and things like that. But then I'm scrolling down through and he did do a movie that I coincidentally popped on while I was working from home, sitting at my computer, staring at email all day. And I popped it on the background and ended up kind of getting sucked into it. He did a movie in 1992 called Split Second. Have either of you seen Split Second? No. Yeah. So so it's it's a um, it's a Rucker Howard vehicle. <laughs> um, it stars Rucker Howard and uh, and. Um, Kim Cattrall, believe it or not. Um, Poor Kim Cattrall. She's fantastic. They give her absolutely nothing to do. She's wasted in the movie. Um, She does some cool stuff, but they just don't give her anything cool to do with her character. But Rucker Hauer, so it's this like hard-boiled, futurist, or I guess dystopian future, hard-boiled buddy cop movie that has like a horror element to it. It's bizarre. They're Hmm. like in the future – you know, wearing, you know, uh, Rucker Hauer is, first of all, this is how 1990 fucking two this movie is. His character in the movie is Detective Harley Stone. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> what? The, couldn't be on, like, you might as well have named him, like, Officer Fingerless Gloves. Like, he's literally <laughs> the, the most fucking 1992 cop I've ever seen. He's got, like, a duster jacket on. They're just walking through dystopian, you know, clubs and punching people, and everything's wet. It's a very strange movie. Anyway. Um, so, wait a minute. Did you just watch Barkin' Bin Blade Runner? Is, it, is this <laughs> what you're God, telling us? It is kind of. It's it's like, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's Dollar General uh, Blade Runner. A little bit. A little bit. Okay. Except for there's, like, a weird like ghost demon monster that murders people like he's investigating a serial killer um but the serial killer ends up being like this uh like 
it's a supernatural thing. Um, it's wild. Um, it's definitely worth a watch, honestly. I mean, Rucker Hauer, I mean, he's going to, he got, he's got some great lines. He's that mm-hmm. classic, like, hard boiled cop who's like, I don't eat healthy and I drink hard and I wear a duster <laughs> jacket, you know? Um, it's fantastic. It's definitely, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, in any case, uh, so that's the only other thing I've seen from this director. Um, but here, here's where, here's where we get into the meat, the meat and potatoes here. Um, the, the, the two stars or a handful of stars, it's a fairly big cast a gentleman named Brian Matthews as, uh, as, as Todd, uh, Todd's kind of one of the two kind of big heroes of the movie, I guess. He hasn't done a lot else. He's in a lot of soap operas in the eighties. I think he was in, you know, I don't know if it was all my children or bold and the beautiful or something like that, but he was a big soap star in the eighties. Um, Leah, Ayers, I believe is how you pronounce it, is Michelle. You would know her perhaps from Bloodsport, um, if you saw her. She's in Bloodsport. She also did a, a run that I remember her from on Walker, Texas Ranger. Because, like I said, we were that we we lived that show when we were little. I mean, me and my brother were <laughs> yeah. roundhousing each other all fucking day. Um, there's a guy named Brian Backer who plays Alfred, who's kind of the nerdy creep kid who ends up being a hero uh, at the end. He's the, you know, the one who's like, he's spying on girls in the shower and they're like, you're just trying to scare them, that kid. A little creepy, more than a little creepy. Um, he was the rat. What was his name? Some, Mark the Rat Ratner or something in Fast Times Ridgemont High. Um, there's a bunch of people you'll recognize in this movie. And then, of course, the screen debut of Mr. Jason Alexander as Dave. Um, so I was referring to this movie as The Burning, a.k.a. The Summer of George, a.k.a. Camp Zero to Fucking Sixty. Because <laughs> this thing just goes absolutely. Oh, and also the, the screen debut of Holly Hunter as well. Holly Hunter from The Piano, Broadcast News. She's in The Incredibles. I remember her most as uh, as opposite uh, the great Nick Cage as Ed in Raising Arizona. Um, mm-hmm. But she she's fantastic. She, I, she doesn't get much screen time. I don't even know if she has a line, but this was also Holly Hunter's screen debut, which I found pretty interesting. So one of the things I love about this movie, they take the lore um, – from kind of a real life type scenario, right? So Cropsy is kind of the villain in the film, right? So uh, long story, I guess I should probably take a quick moment because it to, to read the IMDB synopsis here because it does a pretty concise job, probably better than I would. Uh, a former summer camp caretaker, horribly burned from a prank gone wrong, lurks around in upstate New York camp bent on killing the teenagers responsible for his disfigurement. Um, yeah, they're basically, he's this like alcoholic, abusive um, caretaker of this camp uh, who roughs up one of the campers or counselors. They never really specify. And he's just like a, a tip, just very much an asshole. Nobody likes him. So this bunk of campers decides they're going to play a trick on him where they take I don't know where they got like a movie quality. It's like it came <laughs> off a fucking Fulci set. Like they literally took this like 
looks like a human skull with worms and blood and fire yeah. and just put it in his in his bedroom in the Cropsey. You know, he's passed out drunk. They sneak into his camp. He's the camp caretaker. They put it on his um, on beside his bed and then they tap on his the glass until he wakes up again. You think, oh, you put a snake or a spider or something. No, it's like a like a movie level prop. I don't know where the fuck. So craft day was a lot. I feel like I definitely saw something like that at Michael's that I definitely would have bought as home decor for my life. It know? was intense. <laughs> it literally looked like it was off a of Fulci set. Like you later again, spoiler alerts abound here, but you later find out that Todd, one of the counselors who's kind of like the hero, is one of the kids who played the trick that resulted in Cropsey getting getting burned and Cropsey's back for revenge. Blah blah blah. Tom Savini does the, um, the the effects in this movie, which is one of the big reasons why it's so fantastic and lends so much kind of gravity and stakes to the movie. But that piece, that prop that they put in there was so intense that I almost was like, do they later come back and learn that another one of the campers in that bunk was a young Tom Savini <laughs> that put that fucking piece together and scared the shit out of Cropsey? Anyway, Cropsey wakes up, sees this gnarly ass like bloody burning wormy skull flops it onto his lap on his bed He's apparently like, his yeah. come on come on over here. <laughs> come on snuggle up with me <laughs> apparently his bed is just his sheets are poly polyester soaked in fucking kerosene because they go up like like immediately um his legs are on fire he's panicking and then you know cropsy's longtime habit of sleeping just surrounded by accelerants comes back to haunt him. <laughs> he has gasoline <laughs> in his in his bunk. So yeah. For sure. An open <laughs> gas can right beside his bed. Let me just pour this all over me. <laughs> Cropsy like the huff. What's the that's matter? What, that's what I'm saying. Is, cro- is Cropsy huffing gas, or does yeah. he just wake up in the middle of the night and like I just need to take a little swig of He's gas? He's like the or Charlie, Charlie Kelly of summer camps, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Those kids invaded his angry room and then <laughs> set him on fire. <laughs> oh my god yeah and, and of course he gets up and old old bumble bup cropsy goes and kicks over the kerosene can and all of a sudden he's a fucking fireball right so he runs out of the room uh you know uh jumps in the water blah 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 so um the interesting thing is they took the name cropsy uh but cropsy was a not only a real life urban legend it's kind of an oxymoron but you get the idea like in real life people this was an urban legend in the 70s and 80s in staten island new york but then it oddly enough it ultimately came true so there's this the urban legend is around hey there's this guy he was a patient at uh, willowbrook mental institution the uh which is i guess on staten island the uh, institution shut down and he's just left to his own devices and he lives in the woods and he abducts kids and, you know, kills people and blah, blah, blah. Right. Standard urban legend stuff. But then this guy who everyone called Cropsy and he was like, he's Cropsy. This guy named Andre Rand, which wasn't his birth name. And I could not find out why this guy changed his name. Nobody knows why. In any case, he eventually was convicted of kidnapping and first degree murder. Like he literally kidnapped people and ultimately murdered, I think, two people, at least convicted of at least one first degree murder. So it was like a weird true crime story that was, you know, 
inextricably linked to this urban legend and they took that name and like plopped it into the movie which was kind of weird um so it all almost had this weird uh, uh like um mythos already built into it in a weird way but in any case so th- so that th- i thought that was a pretty pretty interesting approach um th- getting down to like why i absolutely love this movie first of all i think of this as like the platonic ideal of a camp slasher movie for a lot of reasons. And I was kind of between sleepaway camp, uh, madman, which I love to, and, and this one, um, and a couple of things. It has all the elements, right? I love the fact that there's a killer in the woods, crazy deformed monster killer guy, right? He's not, he's got a backstory. They, they actually go into it a lot more than they necessarily need to, but it's not a whodunit. It's not a, you know, hey, hey, you know, somebody in coots with him. It's like, no, there's a fucking monster in the woods. He's going to come fucking kill you. You're like, that's that's the whole idea, right? Um, and then there's this weird element of realism. And they kind of take care of some loose ends in the movie that they don't necessarily need to. So, like, for example, um, first of all, uh, right off the bat, you could say – in a normal, you know, he gets set on fire, you know, he jumps in the lake. Very easily could have just been like, hey, never heard from again. Now he's creeping out in the woods. Well, actually, they go the length to go like, no, they called an ambulance. They took him to the hospital. He was in a burn ward for months and months and in rehabilitation for years. And they even go back to like, him getting let out onto the street and apparently they handed him a trench coat and were like, go into Manhattan. Um, <laughs> and then he was in Manhattan. Here's a few like, dollars, get you <laughs> He literally like, so this scene, not only does it like tie up that kind of loose end that, that I think a lot of other movies just would not have even bothered, bothered with, but also they, they go, they, they take this opportunity to raise the stakes and like set expectations as far as like, there's some shit that's going to happen in this movie. Like the stakes are high. Cropsy, again, he's got a trench coat. I mean, I guess if I look like Cropsy, I'd probably have a trench coat as well. But they, he's in what I assume is Manhattan. It just looks like the setting for like basket case or something. And he's with a sex worker, uh, go up to the room, you know, blah, blah, blah. He kills her in a fairly brutal scene that I can only describe as like reminiscent of something like Prowler or something like that, where it's like the movie's okay, but the kills are so brutal that it raises the stakes to a higher level. And this is, I mean, this is hundred percent Tom Savini, right? So right off the bat, you're kind of told you can't trust this fucking movie. You know what I mean? Like a lot of other horror movies and slasher movies in particular, you kind of like, you kind of know what you're going to get, right? A few minutes in, you're like, you can see where the the budget restrictions are. You can see where the script, you know, is going to fall short or the performance is going to fall short. And you're like, yeah, it's not going to, I can turn away. I don't have to take this very seriously. Nothing seriously serious is going to happen. This one sets the expectations right off the bat that like you're in for some shit. And then right after that, it's like 35, 40 minutes where it's like, am I watching meatballs? Like, this is just a (laughs) silly, sleazy camp movie. You know what I mean? A camp, of course, that is inhabited almost exclusively with future sex criminals. Like, these fucking guys are 
ultra aggressive. Um, yeah, Brian, your your movie's full of perverts. <laughs> it is. It is. So this is a problematic. This is a problematic part. There's a lot of very aggressive dudes uh, be doing very aggressive dude stuff um, with with their feather, fellow campers. Like, there's no way around. This is a fucking sleazy very ass movie. Yeah, it's super sleazy ass movie. Like, I'm definitely not gonna uh, uh, not gonna paint that in any you know positive light or anything like that but um yeah so but like yeah for 30 40 minutes you kind of get lured into this false sense of security a little bit and then you're like oh am i again am i watching meatballs or something and then all of a sudden you're fucking not again you know what i mean and and then you get to the canoe scene which is one of my favorite scenes of all time you guys remember what i'm talking about when i say the canoe canoe scene Mm mm-hmm so for those of you who haven't seen it, I would strongly urge you to, to watch it. But, um, you know, not going to explain the whole plot, but a bunch of shit goes down. Right. And uh, they lose the canoes. So they split up and a small group uh, goes to, you know, take their canoes back to or, or I'm sorry, to, to go find the canoes. They end up building a raft. So they're paddling back towards camp on this raft and they see one of the canoes, one of their lost canoes. And they paddle up to it. And the first time I watched this, which again, not that long ago, they had just uh, one of the counselors, I think her name was Karen, had just been killed in a not terrifically brutal, but like fairly brutal scene. And then you they go up to the canoe and what you assume is going to happen and what any other slasher movie has told you is Karen's body is going to be in the canoe and they're going to freak out. They're going to all of a sudden shit's turned on now we're scared now we're looking over our shoulder now we know there's a murderer on the loose and now the plot's gonna you know speed up in the last act wrong cropsy jumps out of this fucking canoe in broad daylight and takes his shears garden shears to these kids in the most brutal way the one kid gets his fingers cut off he slashes another girl literally right across the forehead like it's absolutely fucking brutal and fast paced and like the 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 performances by the the victims are super convincing i mean the practical effects are they they had to do this in a very short amount of time and and later when you get to cropsy's face is not incredible i mean he's burnt you know what i mean that's probably it's fine but tom savini I've, I've read and heard in interviews where he was like yeah i had like two days to do that um so so like again it's just like the canoe scene is absolutely uh fucking brutal and then the aftermath after the canoe scene where they you know heading back and all this stuff long story short they get back to camp the few survivors and even when they get back together with the uh, the counselors they don't just go like, okay, everyone died. All right. You know, a lot of slasher movies will be like, hey, our friends are all dead. Let's also still fuck. Like, you know what I mean? It's just not <laughs> like, no, like it's, it's just usually there's not a lot of like phasing them. They show the kids like panicking, crying, shaking. Like it is, it's just, it's very, very effective. Um, so I, that, like the fact that this movie just like takes it to 11 then lures you into false sense security and then punches you right in the fucking gut again later on um, is, is probably the thing I love the most about it. Also, the character of Glazer, do you know, remember, remember what I'm talking about? I'm talking about Glazer. Glazer. Yeah, the guy who wasn't good enough for the outsiders. 
Glazer. I, I mean, I call him soda pop, but you know, in the movie, it's Glazer. Um, yeah, so he definitely. You're right. He definitely looks like. I was gonna say that's a better way of describing him. I was gonna say he looks like he because he's so fucking greasy. I mean, he's yeah. maybe the greasiest human being I've ever seen. He yeah. looks like he just got done being incubated inside a Bruce Springsteen song, <laughs> and then and then he was dumped out on the sh- on the shores of this of this camp. Um, but yeah, you're right. He looks like an extra from the Outsiders as well. But his voice, just his mannerisms, like. Hey, ladies, you look like a bunch of fucking mermaids or whatever he says. Hey, pretty lady. Give me a kiss. Hey, you guys reading girly magazines? What a bunch of losers. Steve, you're just doing John Travolta, and you're not far off. You are honestly not far off. He is. He seems like, yeah, he's like a greaser. He's John Travolta from Greece a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And then it's it's my favorite part of his character was at some point he he has this girl that he's chasing and being very aggressive with and uh, her name's Sally mm-hmm. and he's trying to make it with her and she's telling him no and he goes oh come on it's gonna be good <laughs> and then and then it's and then, not yeah, and then it's not. <laughs> at all. I promise I promise it's I promise. Be so good. Oh, is that it? I just remember that one. Oh, yeah. Like, what? She, she, she emasculates him so hard. It's pretty, it might be one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Oh, she's yeah. like, she's like, yeah, I'm cold. You didn't do shit to warm me up or something. Like she says yeah, something. Yeah. She, she's like, Glazer, you're a punk bitch is basically yeah. what she says to him immediately post coitus. I thought that was, I thought that oh, was yeah. fantastic. Um, and then he's like, I'm going to go get some wood for the fire. And then he like runs off <laughs> Don't worry, list. round two will be better. <laughs> <laughs> he does say that. I promise it's going to be better the second time. But um, it's not. Yeah, because uh, he gets stabbed <laughs> in the throat with shears. Um, yeah, so that's that's my, I guess, uh, my, my general argument for... That was for, a general argument. That was no, no, it's not general. I'm nothing if not verbose. Um, so, yeah, questions, comments, concerns, lay it on me. Your movie is full of perverts that are unlikable. <laughs> the only likable character is Dave, and then the women who no, are Dave's victims. Dave's not likable at all. Dave is an absolute fucking I asshole. Like Dave. I like Dave. I know he is funny he's, because he's, he's George, right? I get. I guess maybe I like Dave because he's not trying to rape. He's not. <laughs> He's not. But he's, he's not saying, as rapey as the rest. He's not yeah. as sure. rapey. No, I have. I have been very upfront. This movie is absolutely fucking sleazy as hell. Um, Dave at one point goes like something about all I remember. The only line that I could actually quote from from Jason Alexander's character is he says something about, "Hey, don't forget the spermicide or something like that." <laughs> right? Like in the mess hall, you're just like, "You are nauseating." So but <laughs> I wonder how it felt to like have to say those lines. Like, was there any consciousness? Like, no, this is what we do. We're not humans. It's very like, yeah, it is. So it's, it's, it, I was, I was going to save this a little bit for, for later. I'm outing myself a little bit here. This is the one thing that is my hesitancy about this movie. And I did not even realize it until I brought it up and, and committed to, to talking about it is, uh, 
Uh, one Mr. Harvey Weinstein does have a writing credit on this movie. And this is <laughs> one of, if not the first, like, movie that kind of, like, kicked off Miramax, I think, or had mm-hmm. some, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so It at least put money in his pocket to uh, yeah, keep going. So, so when you think about uh, some of the attitude towards women of, of these campers, all of a sudden, you know, you can kind of be like, hey, this movie's 40 years old. It's fucking sleazy camp, you know, movie, whatever. And then you're like, ah, now I'm seeing it through a kind of a weird light uh, (laughs) with the Harvey Weinstein thing. But overall, the performances are fucking are pretty killer. Yeah, the dialogue, again, at times is cringy. Um, But but so like most of my takeaways were like, you know, obviously I'm doing this slightly in comparison to like Sleepaway Camp. And I will give it credit to that the dialogue's slightly better than Sleepaway Camp. You know, it definitely has this thing. But like what I think. So, like, the killing didn't really happen until much later. You know, the official, I would say, like, okay, now our climax, we're coming, and everyone's going to fucking die. It didn't happen until later, but I still felt like there was this always, like, tension going on through the movie that you felt. And I I thought they did a good job with that. However, it was, because they always, like, built up these moments, but it was, like, something else. Yeah, they did, they did They did. the old Vaseline smeared on the lens, you know, thing when it was good looking through Cropsey's eyes. I'm pretty sure that's like how they get that like effect on the camera. But in any case, it was uh, it was. Yeah, there was a couple times where like, oh, Cropsey's sneaking into the bunk to kill. What is it? Woodstock or whatever his name is. And then now it's just, you know, it's just Todd or whatever. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of that. But I love that. Yeah, you kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. I know. I mean, I kept on waiting for the gore. Like, I kind of, you know, I think like some like movies that fall in this category, like typically like we're going to do it throughout the whole thing and you're just going to kind of one get one and get another. Then we're going to have a bunch of them happening and then it's going to be over. Whereas, like I said, like, you know, we have the initial kill and then now we're back at camp and it's just a lot of weird shits happening. A lot of spermicide talk. A lot of spermicide talk. A lot of, you know. A lot you of know, talking a about toms and uh, a whole nine. Yeah, yeah. I still feel like they created because, like, the the scene where the one character that she was in the shower is like one of the campers, and you're like, oh my god, Cropsey's gonna get her. Like that in my mind, I'm like, no, here it is, and no, it's what's his fucking Alfred the incel. It's Alfred. Alfred the incel. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to scare her. Um, I. <laughs> I absolutely fucking, that's one thing I was, I, I wanted Alfred to die. Like I'm rooting for Alfred. And they kind of tried to create Alfred as this like sympathetic character a little bit. Like he's an underdog a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, but he's still an asshole. Dude. If you start the movie by being a peeping Tom, uh, you're not going to win. You're not going to get back into my good graces just from going like the peeking on me. And they even pointed out because he's, He's being the peeping Tom on the girl, uh, Sally, who is Glazer's girlfriend of sorts. So he's trying to get at her to get at Glazer. Is that what, is that how you took it? Yeah, that's what he was saying the whole time. He's like, I just want to get back at him. Yeah. Like the, the other women in the cabin bring it up as like, well, why was, you know, why? So he's going to bully her to get at him. Yeah. I do remember that line. Now that you say that, I do remember that line where they're all sitting around and, and the one, which is maybe my favorite character, Tiger. She's the tiger she, who she, lost her way to the bad news bears. Yeah, yeah she really. <laughs> and she's even she's the one who goes and finds the softball in the woods. She's also like 
seems to be 11 years old smoking a cigarette. Like, in the, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. she seems very mature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But so that's, listen, that's my story. I'm, I'm sticking to it. It's not a perfect movie, but I, I like the, the danger element. I like the high stakes. I think the, this, the, the effects are awesome, especially for what they were working with time wise. Um, and, uh, yeah, I like the pace. I like the, okay, set expectations. We're going to fuck you up. Maybe we're not. No, we're definitely going to fuck you up. Like I, that's, that's kind of my, my, I definitely will give the effects like the a plus yeah. because like all of the practical effects that go on. Cause I mean, it basically has to be practical in the eighties, mm-hmm. but then you start the movie with a full body burn and then end the movie with another full body burn. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know if there was anybody in the second one at the end. No, it might've just I think been a at dummy. That point, at that point he had had shears in the back of the neck from Alfred. Mm-hmm. Todd stuck an ax in his face and then they yeah. set him on fire. So I, yeah, I don't think, and, and the, I mean, the first move, the first one, I, I saw like reviews and people were like, oh, the burn at the beginning, you can see the fire suit and the mask so much. I'm like, it was like you can see 20, him in all of them. <laughs> yeah, it was like a 20 second burn. Like you have to, like that was a serious, every time I see one like that, especially one that runs long like that, mm-hmm. it, it makes me so nervous because I've heard so many horror stories of people who have gotten like stunt people who've gotten seriously disfigured, like Kane Hodder, you know, or whatever. These right. people who have like literally had like really serious injuries as a result of these burns, uh, these burn scenes. And like, yeah, so it always, I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good burn scene. Yeah, they're yeah. always good. I, I always like a good one. All right, I think I've ex- I think I've uh, I've I've exhausted my argument. Uh, who's who's feeling who's feeling froggy? I mean, I can go, but if Meg, you want to go, go ahead. I'll just go to get mine out of the way. Not to not to say I just want to get this over with. <laughs> uh, no, I, I I definitely I appreciate like how in depth, and I'm just like, oh, am I not going to do this justice? But like my opening comment about sleepaway camp is the word timeless i feel like to a certain extent like you could always come back to and you still kind of get the same excitement or even just like i don't know surprise of it all um but if we want to kind of go through it um revisit that robert hiltzik um came out in 1983 um like i said like with this movie you know his work he really didn't do anything until he did the sequel and i did see that Felissa Rose did like a like documentary type thing on this movie too. And we'll start it off with the IMDb synopsis. So we have Angela Baker, a shy, traumatized young girl, is sent to summer camp with her cousin. Shortly after her arrival, anyone with sinister or less than honorable intentions gets their comeuppance. Mm, they sure <laughs> as hell do. <laughs> <laughs> Comeuppance would be not how I would describe necessarily the things that happen to these people. Uh, that's that's putting it putting it mildly. Yeah, but I feel like even this movie opens with, I don't know, with when you're looking at, it, I think especially now people our age, like you look at movies from the '80s and you're like, oh my god, every ounce of this is so corny. But I so, so you kind of find I think a little bit of humor even with the gore that goes along with it. So we have this opening scene, you know, two campers. You know, farting around on a boat. Yeah, I'm using farting. We're just farting around. (laughs) Farting around with a girl on some skis. And, uh, you know, one thing leads to another. They're just no longer paying attention, which I think is like one of the best reasons. You're just like, 
Just look forward. Just, well, just look straight. Uh, I also love how easily the guy's convinced, too. She's like, he's like, let me drive. And he's like, my dad you know, lets me drive. Is like, your dad going to let me help me find a new job? And Yeah. And, and then he, all of a sudden he, he's just like. Uh, okay. His, and she, her, ans- her answer is, come me, a- I forget, it's not cut me a break, but it's like, oh, come on. And he's yeah. like, all right. <laughs> like, he just gets convinced. So he's like, right. And so a couple of the things. So we obviously know, I mean, if anyone hasn't watched this then, so we now have uh, John and his partner Lenny bring John's children to the lake, and they're farting around on their sailboat now. Again, mm-hmm. all the farting around. Nah, people are farting <laughs> around really a lot. I mean, that's undeniable. Up. This movie's so, notorious for all the farting around. Yeah. So we have John and his two children in the water and this boat heading towards them with no one paying attention. But what I appreciate and kind of found very hilarious um, every time I watch it is that so the people driving the boat heading towards John as kids are just like super calm. We have the girl in the skis <laughs> who's freaking the fuck out. Like, yeah. turn, turn, blow. And she, that does not stop. So, like, mm-hmm. everyone's dynamic. I and think she's sitting so in totally different. still water, by oh, the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's actually probably just sitting in a barrel or something like that. <laughs> and then what, um, I don't know if you guys remember, like, when the boat first hits John, his partner Lenny is just like, John. And that's it's all a melodrama. It's a little bit of melodrama, yeah. Those it, two kids, like, which are, I guess, yeah, uh, I guess it's Ricky and Angela, right? Uh, no, yeah. Peter and no, Angela. No, 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 no. Peter. No, it's Ricky's not Ricky. Ricky's the cousin. Ricky's the yes. cousin. It's, it's Pete and Angela. It's Pete and Angela, that's right. They yeah. remind me of Michael Corleone's kids in Godfather Part Two, where they're just they're, like straight yeah. face, afraid to talk. Yeah. Their accents are so heavy, too. Oh, my gosh. That little girl, the, she's like four years old. She sounds like fucking Joan Rivers. Yeah, she's yeah. Like, And they're both like, hey, daddy, do you think one day we'll go to the camp like the big kids? And it's like, holy hell, these are some real New Yorker kids. Yeah, but then, like, like, John and Lenny don't sound like that. So where the hell did they get that from? New York are the only people who ever really went to summer camp, if you don't know that already. Pretty much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh my god, I was I, I pointed out. So I watched this recently. Well, this past week, and it was the first time my wife had ever seen it, and she was like, "Why the fuck are those kids talking like that?" I'm like, <laughs> "I'm sure they didn't go to voice coaches. They probably talk. Like, that's exactly how they talk in, in their everyday life." Yeah. So we have now. Uh, we are under the assumption that John and Peter are dead, and so Angela goes to live with. Aunt Martha. Oh, Aunt Martha. Aunt Martha is a character and a half. And I, what I love about this whole movie is like, you always kind of have this suspicion of something. You're like, okay, is it a time period thing that Aunt Martha is so weird? Or is she just really a little cuckoo in the head? And it obviously comes together for us. So she is now sending off Angela and Ricky to the summer camp. And I, I kind of. Do you know she it. actually passed away this week? That actress. Oh, I didn't oh yeah. R.I.P. Yeah, Desiree Gould. Desiree she Gould. Passed. She literally yeah. passed away this week. I weirdly wanted to do a TikTok joke, and that was probably the worst thing I probably could have even had the thought in my mind. Um, 
so anywho, so we have Ricky and Angela. We're going to summer camp. We're doing our thing. And instantly, Angela's super shy. She's super quiet. She's, like, cl clearly traumatized from going back to camp, which is also, like, we don't really set up why does she want to go back to camp. Why is it all of a sudden, eight years later, she's like, I think I'm ready to kill a bunch of people. You know, our son, like, I mean, it's like so Michael like, Myers, you know, it's just like however many years later, the, the, the clock. Not an yeah. adult. No, no, it's not. No, so, there's no rationale. Uh, you know, we, we learn uh, Angela and Ricky's dynamic. Ricky is clearly someone who like sticks up for his cousin. He gets, he gets it. He gets it in more ways than one. Uh, that was awkward to say that way. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so Angela gets picked on the whole time because she's super quiet, super super shy, and so we go through that. And I'm trying to think, and oh yeah, then we have our first murder. Mm -hmm. We are, you know, the, I think in the Spanish we're like kind of just setting it up and getting to know the characters. We're getting to know all the creeps that work at this summer camp, um, like Artie and Mel and. Then we get to know the bitches like Meg and Judy. You know, we're learning all of them. Don't, <laughs> don't you dare talk shit on my sweet, sweet Judy. <laughs> she is an icon. She is the love of my life. And I swear to Christ, if I hear you badmouth Judy. <laughs> Judy is a shit. <laughs> I fucking love Judy. kills me. I fucking love Judy. I just like her character just cracked me up because I'm like you see throughout all of her um, scenes like how she just pauses and she's like, I know how I can be a bitch here. Oh, I'm gonna <laughs> flip the hair and oh, I'm gonna yeah. say something super c-word. I don't. Even, I want to say. I want to say something, but I'm like, yeah, you know, she knows. She knows what she's doing. It's great. I love this the the dialogue between her and Ricky. I could listen to an audio book that's just her and Ricky. <laughs> Just going, well, my favorite one, I had to, I wrote it down, is <laughs> Ricky goes, you're a real scumbag, Judy. And Judy goes, fuck you. And just the <laughs> way she says, fuck you, just like, ah, oh, she nails it. She's one of the, she is one of the greatest movie villains of all time. And in, in my mind, I fucking love Judy. Yeah, no, she's one of yeah. the And Judy's death is actually one of my favorites oh, throughout the it's... movie. So so we slowly start having our death sap, and we have Artie, the creepy cook. He gets burned with water, which we don't technically know if he dies, but he gets real fucked up um, because he was trying to molest fucking Angela. Yeah, Gross. they set you know, him up I'm right like, off the bat. I as wanted like, him dead the moment I heard his voice. Uh, you, know, you see my the, face right now? Yeah. Like, he's about the loudest pedophile I've ever heard. Yeah, oh, my God. He's, he's so brazen. Yeah. He literally. He's not he's sitting, thing. He's sitting there outside when all the kids are going there, and the shit he's saying is is. Wild. It's, not that, it's not that they're not old enough it's just or not that you're too old it's just they're what well, he said some i'm trying to remember the line because it was just like i actually might have a note i'm gonna, I'm gonna pull it i up. do know the word baldies is thrown around yeah. which word really baldies. makes me squirm in my seat but do you it's know that wildly uncomfortable oh no i have the quote i totally wrote it down it's like my note says creepy chef mind yeah. you you know it says no such thing as being too young you're too old <laughs> I was do just you know like, guy, what? Do you know the guy he's talking to? The the guy who takes over as the chef yeah. after him? Do you know who yeah. that is? James Earl Jones' brother? That a uh, father, I think. A father. Who's okay. Father? I, I thought they were yeah. Is it brother? I thought I thought it was, yeah, I, I believe it's James Earl Jones' father. Oh wow. 
And I'm pretty sure this was the year, whatever year was this, one of the Star Wars movies came out this year. What, which one of the Star Wars franchise, like the original trilogy, came out in 83? Was it? Mm, I think that would have been Empire. Yeah, which I think is the Anyway, it's so funny that he was in this movie that year and his son was the voice of Darth Vader. <laughs> like, right. Talk about the dissonance between yeah. that. Like, uh, yeah, I, I could kind of see it, I feel like, when you now that you pointed out, I'm like, I could see certain characteristics. Like in oh, his voice, man. Yeah, it's all in the voice. Yeah. His voice is uh, so similar. He's the father of James Earl. So it's Robert Earl Jones, and he's the father of James Earl Jones. Nice. There you go. There you yeah. go. I think I, I, heard, I heard that recently. Yeah. Fun facts. We're dropping them. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I like, you know, this one I feel like, you know, in comparison to say the burning, it's like we start having our deaths throughout the whole time. You know, I feel like something happens, like Angela gets affected. And that's the other thing is like, obviously, you don't know Angela is the killer until technically the end, but you kind of know. You're like, it's either her or Ricky and there's no yeah. one else really that makes mm-hmm. sense here or or it's one of the dead people who aren't really dead and they just have somehow been hiding out but why would they do that so you know we have this going on and you kind of see kind of see this like pattern you're like something shitty happens to Angela and then someone ends up dead and you're like cool all right i, gu- I guess the other possibility was it, it could have been Aunt Martha Sure. Who was watching watching over the kids? Yeah, yeah. that's all. Yeah. So I remember reading when I watched this movie for the first time in I think in college. I remember reading like theories about it and stuff mm-hmm. about, and there was the most theories were about Aunt Martha and that, mm. or that Ricky was doing some of the killings, or Ricky was in on some of the killings, or Aunt right. Martha was in the killings. And I think a lot of those rumors like came from the fact that. They didn't use Angela's hands in the, you know, when right. they just yeah, show the hands. Like like, hand. Yeah, it, it, it's. I, I'm pretty sure it's Ricky's hands they use, which but is also, kind of. If you yeah. remember, like when Judy's getting killed, that was like the first time you see any sort of figure, like full figure. And yeah. I feel like the one thing that I notice about it is that, like the hair. You're like that doesn't look like Angela's hair. It looks like a shorter, like boy haircut from the eighties. That was slightly mm-hmm. mullet like, yeah. and yeah. Um, the closest you get before that is, uh, when Kenny is under the, uh, canoe. Yeah. And you just see the head and above so, the water kind of thing. Yeah. But it stops like way before it's shoulders. So you can't tell if it's long hair or short hair or sure. anything. Yeah. And, and it's wet, so obviously. Yeah, so talking about the death of Judy, I have to point out, I like, out of any of the deaths, because I think everything else was pretty standard, like nothing really point, like, po- like jumps out at you about that, but then all of a sudden we have Judy and we have this beautiful, like, silhouette from the light shining in, and then we have these hands coming up, so it becomes, like, I feel like almost more of an epic death, but then, if if you understand curling irons you're a bit triggered because you know the moment that you burnt your head one time and you would never do that again. So you see that and you see that (laughs) wand come down and you're like, oh, mm, that was probably the worst death, worse than being stabbed in the back. Well, and forget, (laughs) if I'm wrong in this, she's stabbed in a very vulnerable place. Am I I wrong in saying that? it's kind of insinuated there. Is it not insinuated that that's what happens with the curling iron? Something like that. I mean, I don't know how else you could try to... I mean, I also... We can even talk about like this. Like, how could you kill someone? I mean, granted, getting burned would suck. Yeah. You don't see the aftermath, but it definitely insinuates 
that it's going in places that would probably not feel very comfortable. Yeah, yeah. I, I again, never used a curling iron. Still squirming. It's all in silhouette. Yeah. yeah, she'll she'll be like, "Yep, nope, that's the worst." She fell asleep before that part, and I was happy because I knew she would just be like, "This is it, fucking, I'm out, I'm out on this one." Um, but yeah, well, yeah it's, but I, uh, I, I kind of liked how artistic, in a way, it was like the only death, and it's odd to like talk about art, like deaths in a horror movie being super artistic. But I feel like it did stick out to me that I'm like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a brutal one. That's a brutal one. So the other things that um, really like stick out in me as interesting and like things that they start tackling, and it's it's almost one of these things that I'm like I'm I would wish I was in the writing room for this because I think like when you initially watch it, uh, when Angela first kisses and I'm forgetting the other Ricky's friend's name. Do you guys remember? Oh my gosh! Well, yeah, it's escaping um, me right now. That- I don't know. Okay. Anyway, so she starts hanging out with one of the other camp members and she kisses him for the first time and you can tell something's happening or he kisses her, I should say. So she's like, this is weird. Should this be happening? And you kind of get this sense that something's off. But at that point, you don't know the wild card thing here. You just don't. So you're like, what is this? And then, you know, we go to her dreamscape of sorts and we see her and her brother just giggling about, you know, dad and Lenny and just being like, ooh, hoo, hoo, this is so funny. So I feel like they're almost like weirdly tackling like uncomfortable topics at that time of talking about like gay and lesbian partnerships and stuff like that. And even at the end, we find out transgender type topics but i'll get to that a little bit more so i i think initially like if i recall like i mean it's it almost like confused me at first because you don't know and i think things start coming together towards the end um so yeah so let's keep going um we have way more dust meg dies in the shower and then we have judy come right after that fucking Um, meg i I feel like it almost goes from (laughs) zero to 60 because it's like a couple are happening and then all of a sudden we go to our you know apex here and we're like yep nope everyone's gonna die I I love I I, after Meg throws Angela in the water, my favorite Meg related scene is after he does that. And then the other like counselor that's on the dock just goes, you're a real peckerhead. You know that, Meg? (laughs) (laughs) You're trying to drown a child. You know, you're a real peckerhead. That was probably you are super literally harsh a counselor. Then. Yeah, you were a counselor <laughs> who tried to drown a child. You know what? Real peckerhead move. <laughs> um, but yeah. So now we're just gonna go towards. I'm just gonna jump towards like this is the th- moment we're all waiting for. So again, I already mentioned you kind of have this feeling that it's Angela, and then boom, she has her boyfriend's head basically cut off, and she's just like. I'm now coddling it and I'm just rubbing it. Then all of a sudden she does the look. She has no clothes on. And we find out that Angela is actually Peter. And it's just like, once you start seeing those things unfold, you're like, click, 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 click. Everything comes together. You're like, okay, aunt Martha's straight psycho. And, um, and also this is whole situation. Like I talk about like transgender things. Cause I was trying to read into this and I was like, cause it, it was something that always stuck out with me that there, I feel like they're almost like 
tack like trying to touch on these things because i like also read read that like this like people started coming after the movie about kind of having these transphobic type undertones and whatnot but like i kind of think the idea was like less about making horror that someone could possibly be transgender but to like think of the turmoil that someone faces being forced to be someone that they're not and like how that could actually affect their psyche you know so she already went through this traumatic experience and then goes through another traumatic experience living with aunt martha who's like i've always wanted a girl and you're like and she's somehow in like a like a stage play in 1938 yeah. like for some yeah. reason like, <laughs> i love her like side comments where she's like just talking to herself she's just that like, just won't do it all yeah, yeah. What, what would this be yeah no, it's great. she's definitely stage acting too because she goes from shouting she's constantly projecting right in the kids faces yeah and i'm like <laughs> and then, so is that a choice like there's so many questions i've seen this movie a dozen times and I still have so many unanswered questions every yeah. time I watch it. But I mentioned about being in the writer's room and I feel like the way, because you you don't know all these things, but you kind of have assumptions that I'm just like, imagine being a writer being like, I got it. I know how we can tell everyone who the killer is. Let's just have them freeze do a weird face and show their penis. Yeah. Like, it's just like, it's like, hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Ronnie, who's the only good guy in the movie, by the way, right. Ronnie, yeah. Ronnie, the oddly jacked camp yeah. counselor with <laughs> the is. insanely short really shorts. Are the, uh, I mean, all of the, all of the guy counselors are pretty buff, but, uh, are yeah, they- he's like, Looks like a bodybuilder. Yeah, no, Ron, yeah. yeah, Ronnie's huge, huge. But I mean, Gino and uh, the other one is yeah. also pretty big as well. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I don't think those guys are bad either. They're all just yeah, that's true. Ronnie is just like I guess you because you're introduced to them so early on. You're introduced yeah. to the Cook and all and Mel, he seems and they're like all a top, you know, counselor of sorts. Well, and you just assume he's going to be an absolute scumbag because sure. Mel and 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 the Cook and everybody are absolute scumbags. Yeah. And he's also big and jacked and like intimidating that you're kind of like, oh, he's absolutely going to be a shitbird. But he ends up being like totally fine. Like he's one of the most redeemable characters in the whole thing. Like whenever that last scene that you mentioned, one of the things that I never noticed in all the other times that I watched it, I don't know how I missed this, was when they have the guy standing there with the Angela mask on and, you know, fully nude with, you know, everything. Ronnie goes, She's a boy. I have never heard it before. I can't believe I never heard it before. And I just thought to myself, like, Ronnie, we're all looking at the same thing. We know. You, say that. you know, you got bigger you know fish. Also, you got bigger fish to fry, Ronnie. Like, you there's a head on the ground. I always question about this. I'm like, did Ricky not ever know, or was Ricky protecting Angela? No, Ricky definitely knew. In my mind, yeah. Ricky yeah. definitely. Because even at the okay. beginning of the movie, when they're still with Aunt Martha, he's like, she gives him this the thing about the the the. Oh, physicals. The physicals, yeah, and he's That's like, I'll point. never tell, you know, and, you know, because she's know, a doctor when apparently. I first Martha. heard that though, I thought she was just being a weirdo because she said she was a doctor, and I was just like, she wanted to be hush hush. But the moment you point that out, that actually makes a lot of sense. That yeah, no, she wants to cover up. Yeah, yeah I got it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, this 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 movie is so it's got 
the thing I love about it is it's got so many fantastic lines, so many fantastic scenes. Like it's so quotable. I mean, even just like we, we haven't even touched on like, why is Meg, why is Meg trying to get with Mel? Yeah. Meg is, oh, yeah. Uh, Meg is, I'm, I'm just going to, for the sake of, of, you know, argument, I'm going to assume Meg is 18, but she could be younger than that. Yeah. Mel is, Mel is conservatively 70 years old. Like <laughs> right. what the absolute fuck yeah. is happening there? There's a hundred <laughs> things like that, that you're just like, why did they make this decision? What the hell does it mean? But then, yeah, the, the last, the final scene, like I watched it the other night, again, probably the dozenth time. I still get goosebumps at the final scene, the sting, the face, the green, and then they just hold on the face for the credits. Like, you know, it's oh, just yeah. such a insane reveal that you're just like, there's no way yeah. they would do something like that. And then you're staring at a crazy f- mask with a, and, and a, a, a poor guy's dick floating on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, like I said, timeless classic. I think those are the thing. Those are the redeeming factors of it. It's just like here. Here's yeah. some of the some people that really are like because this is like one of the all time biggest like cult classic films you can think of, right? Why? Let me put it this way: a lot of people give the the filmmaker a lot of credit because it's kind of aged in a in a unique way. I don't know why people think that he did all these things intentionally. When he right. clearly did so many other dumb things unintentionally. Why does the cop have the worst fake mustache in the world? I <laughs> know. Like, can, do you so think that bad. the filmmaker that decided to do that also decided to subtly put in all of these nuanced arguments about um, gender identity? Right. I would say no. <laughs> I think he was just trying to make like a fucking shocking movie. Um, yeah. And he was like, I mean, but but he still posts little little hints in there of things where you're like, did he do some of this stuff on purpose? Like, was he really just trying to broach some like taboo issues of the time? Like the 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 thing that I didn't notice until not that long ago was the opening credits when he it's what's it say? It's the, dedicated to mom. A doer. Hmm. Did you notice that? I actually like, what in the absolute fuck does that mean? Like, there's just so <laughs> many, so much cryptic stuff in this movie. It's She's just not a do nothing bitch. Yeah, that's, that's it's what like, I take from that. In memory of mom, like suggesting she's dead. In memory of mom, a doer. I don't know. It's just like there's just so yeah. much weird cryptic stuff in this movie. Yeah, I think what cool. What's like the cool thing? I think when something becomes a cult classic because I don't think anyone goes in intentionally I think it's just like it, it it breaks down into so many bits and pieces where you're like I, I think almost is like people see through that it's like it was slightly unintentional they're like we just I I don't know I guess if I'm thinking about it I, he had to have known what he was doing to a certain extent and I think like that type of ending and maybe because like they were being compared so much like Friday the 13th and there were so many slasher films coming out at that time that like, how can we stand out? They're like, let's do this. And, you know, and I think like being able to take that position and stand by it. And then people are like, uh, 
I see you, you know? And I think as, as life has progressed and people have gone more progressive, they're like, you know, you attach to that and you're like, who would have thought to do that in the early eighties in such a conservative world? Yeah. It's definitely not something that you would, a lot of different things were touched on throughout the film. It's weird that you don't see it repeated more often nowadays, actually. Yeah. You would think, you would think more people would be more interested in tackling different, you know, perspectives and, but yeah, it doesn't come around. I mean, do you think like, I mean, I guess if we can do this sidebar conversation, do you think someone like Jordan Peele though, kind of might be another person who's like, let's talk about issues, but you know, I think like he kind of falls into that and I've seen some other ones that kind of do it too, but yeah, it, Jordan Peele definitely puts social, you know, issues into his films. It's just weird that you know it's it's it doesn't happen enough because you see the success that it, you get from Sleepaway Camp and even George Romero with a lot of his social commentary on consumerism. It's weird that more people didn't try to incorporate it, and instead you get you know paranormal activity and The Conjuring, which they mean nothing. Yeah, you know, I I actually recently just I, I think i was i was listening to a podcast i don't remember which one it was um now i think maybe it was dead and lovely or something but they were talking yeah i think it was because they were talking about um little shop of horrors seen that movie a hundred times and i never really paid attention to the lyrics of like the introductory song and they talked about how it was basically a you know the whole movie was about you know, the perils of capitalism and when they put it, and I was like, now I feel absolutely stupid that I never <laughs> like kind of put those things together, really like identified those themes when I was watching it. Like, I feel like there probably is a lot more of those those out there that like maybe the filmmaker, maybe the writer, whoever did intend for that to be the message. And maybe it didn't come through as clearly in on, on screen or it just got bastardized, you know, throughout all the different cooks in the kitchen of producing a, you know, a studio film, for example. But um, it's weird because Sleepaway Camp does all those things. But like if it wasn't for, yeah, Mel being Mel or, or you know, a boom mic in the shot or yeah, R- <laughs> Ricky cussing or the fake mustache, like – would we even know about this film? Right. Ricky. Yeah. Ricky is the king of shit talk. Oh, I love and he Rick. rules. I can listen has, to Ricky just be like, fuck you, he, you piece of shit. <laughs> he has oh, the yeah. best line. He has the best line when they're playing baseball. <laughs> and he says, this guy blows dog dicks. <laughs> oh, that's I didn't even fun. think that's what you were going to say, but that's a great yeah. one. I thought Ricky, I think we were going to go and he goes, eat shit and die, Ricky. And he goes, oh, yeah. eat shit and live, Paul, I think whatever yeah. his name is. Yeah. And it's just like Yeah, but he's like, this guy blows dead dogs, and that's what causes the eat shit and die, Ricky. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, Ricky. He's just it's so perfect. Like they just were you could tell they were just like, Yeah, just cuss at him. You know, yeah. and he just like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Be a kid. Do yeah. whatever. That's oh, um, so good. All right. Steve. Your film was so interesting. It was. It was. I not what I expected even at all. Yeah. Yes. So I pick, I, I found this on the Netflix and I, I, it was kind of just by happenstance that we decided to do camp slashers, but then I had also watched this film, but just a quick reminder, I chose nobody sleeps in the woods tonight, 2020 film directed by Bartosz Kowalski. And then it is a Polish film. Uh, 
quick IMDb rundown. A group of technology-dependent teenagers go to offline camp, so they're get, losing their you know technology privileges. And then a group of them, common hiking in the woods without access to smartphones, will not end. However, it, it, this is all written in half-broken English. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, basically, a, a small portion of the campers break off to go do more extreme camping away from the main campsite and you get to meet uh, Zoja. Uh, she's our main protagonist, our final girl. And then you have a couple of other uh, friends along. They, they're a bit stereotypical in uh, Ulick, who's kind of a nerdy video gaming kid. Uh, you have the blonde Anella, who uh, kind of fits into that classic slutty you know girl that Mm -hmm. you know she's and she they make mention like they play there's a lot of meta in this film and that you know she plays off of that and says yeah i you know i like to have fun but that's not who i am i don't want to be class you know classified like yeah they like they set up the archetypes and then they betray them a little bit yeah right yeah uh so while they're in the woods they also run afoul of not just one, but two <laughs> deformed monsters making my film better than Brian's. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are we ready to talk about the monsters? Are we there yet? Because... Uh, yes. I Yeah, we can just jump into the monsters because, I mean, you're somewhat introduced them earlier in the film. Uh, the opening scene is a postman who rides up on this remote-ass cabin mm-hmm. and he hears some noises in the basement and he looks in through a basement window and is dragged through and killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you also see the escape. You don't actually see the monsters, but you see the escape as they both kill their mother as well. I mean, yeah. should we almost appropriately kind of call them like these like aliens of sorts? Like they're basically looking for a host, which I, th- I honestly, when you get to know who they are and how this happened, I feel like are some of the most unique, especially for this type of subgenre, most mm-hmm. unique like murderers that you can uh, you can come across. You did not. I did not expect aliens to be in their origin story. <laughs> like, yeah. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. That's. It's 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 a real big surprise. I mean, the the past two films that we just talked about, like both of the killers were essentially, you could say, bred through societal circumstance. Yeah. Uh, of you know, uh, Cropsey being a clumsy asshole and hating women, and Pete being you know forced against his will to live a way that he did not want. But yeah, the the you find the origin story of the monsters that this uh, rock falls from space and. Curious kids pick it up, put it under their beds, and venom comes out and possesses them and turns them into, you know, monsters. Yeah, normally and, your redneck yeah. killers are not victims of a space virus, in yeah. my right. experience. <laughs> right. Normally. <laughs> but it's so. Have either of you seen a another slasher movie called Slaughterhouse from 1987? I have not actually. Sounds familiar, but I do not recall it. I just watched it maybe, I don't know, the last six months. I'd never seen it before. Buddy is the character um, who's the, the murderer. He's like a son, you know, of the redneck family who used to own a slaughterhouse. Look at look up Buddy and then look up the killers in this movie. It is mm. Buddy with boils. 
Okay. <laughs> like it is just when I saw it, I was like, wh- I mean, down to the overalls, the axe, every like he just looks like Buddy, Buddy Bacon. Ba- is that his full name? Bu- Buddy, Buddy Bacon. Bacon. <laughs> yeah, Buddy from Slaughterhouse. Oh, for sure, that is one hundred and ten percent. Yeah. There Brick was, I was house is what I would say that um, with boils. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just there were so many references in this movie, and that one's like it. it some of them's really obvious. Some of them kind of obscure. It was it was wild. Yeah, I, but I think that's kind of the crux of this film mm-hmm. and why I'm saying it's better than all the others. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people will watch this film and they'll say it's derivative. But yeah. you know what else is derivative? The iPhone 12. So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> everything comes full circle you know what actually i like you're bringing up the technology and that's what i felt like made this film even stand out to me as well because a when we all talk about wanting try or trying to disconnect from life what is usually the first thing we're doing oh, hey we're gonna go camping mm-hmm. you know like that's just like that's just this so when i saw this concept i'm like huh yeah, I think we all kind of need that. that I camp, think it was, you know? it was, I mean, even structurally, it was such a great way to close that tech plot hole. Right. Because like normally they just go, we haven't got any reception, you know, like, yeah. you know, in the last, you know, couple of decades, few decades, all of a sudden people have to think about, you know, everyone talks about like how short a movie, you know, Home Alone would be if cell phones existed, that sort of right. thing. So everyone has to worry about closing that, that plot hole now. I just thought it was a really clever one because then you're just, you're literally not thinking about it at all after that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, they yeah. take it away very but quickly. Also it's makes yeah. it more Explained. important when the one guy who ended up getting killed early on had a phone, and it so it kind of also like put emphasis on how important that could have been to like the survival or the moving of the plot. Yeah, mm-hmm. and also it plays a little bit of that same kind of not just drugs and sex, but now technology can lead you to your death as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mentioned how it is derivative, but there's a lot of references. Uh, one of them is one of the monsters kills a guy with the sleeping bag kill from oh, Friday I mean, the 13th. Uh, verbatim. I mean, it's literally yeah. from from six, I think. Uh, Whatever six, Jason and then, Goes to Hell is, right? Uh, Jason Goes to Hell is nine. Uh, okay. Six. I believe it is from six that you're thinking, but yeah, it's which, also from Jason X as well. Oh, that's right. They did bring it back around. Yeah. Yeah. They bring which it one? Back. <laughs> yeah I want to say it's, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, six. yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, yeah, I believe it's six that they, uh, because that's the one where Jason comes back to life and he's full on gross, uh, Uber zombie. zombie. Yeah. He's yeah. zombie Jason. At that yeah, point. Yeah. 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 You're right. You're right. Yeah. And then and they started going over the top. Uh, but some of the other, uh, references that you may or may not have seen, uh, the wrong turn axe kill. I did not even write that one down. I wrote down a whole bunch of them, but didn't write that one down. When he uh, when he chops the cop in half, that's directly taken from Wrong Turn. Um, mm-hmm. When Zoja winds up stabbing one of the monsters, uh, you hear kind of a psycho esque uh, soundtrack, but also the the shot of the knife going through the bed is also, I believe, reminiscent of another Friday the Thirteenth film. Yeah, they do that a couple times, I yeah. feel like. And they even come back and do it in, like, Freddy vs. Jason, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's, like, that string, that, like, yeah. quick, quick uh, like, sting, yeah. stinging string thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, just in general, this the, the soundtrack is very Carpenter-esque in, in, in other, more, other parts. There was even a part in the soundtrack, speaking of that, that I 
that they kept doing this reoccurring theme that was very reminiscent of the main theme from Cannibal Holocaust too. Mm. You know that like mm-hmm, yeah, I'm not gonna. It's, hum it's it. been a while since I've seen that one, but yeah, I, I'm not gonna hum it because it's gonna be absolutely dreadful. But like, <laughs> yeah, it just like it was very reminiscent of Cannibal Holocaust. Um, oh, he crawls up. He crawls over the the rear of the car, like up the rear window. Mm-hmm. Was like I, I would assume a Halloween. Uh, yeah. when Michael's escaping from the from the sanitarium. Uh, that's well, also a great stunt though, because when she pulls off. That mm-hmm. whoever's in, I don't think it was the actual actor. I think it might have been a stunt guy in a, in yeah. a fat suit. Mm-hmm. And he falls and he hits the back window and breaks it. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Was, a, that was a great that's sequence a, overall. That's a great stunt. And that's one of the best things about this film overall is all of these kills and everything we're talking about. It's pretty much all practical with a little bit of effects enhancement. Yeah. But other than that, it's all practical and it's mostly in daylight. Mm-hmm. Which is even they're not That's trying to true. cover anything up. Point. Yeah, there's no rain, there's no dark, there's no right. nothing to kind of muddy things up. Yeah, I was I was pretty impressed by that. I I uh, let me see. There was one other one I wrote down that because it it did feel like I kind of wrote when well, I went where I wrote down, but it was like I mean it felt like a Polish love letter to Western slasher movies. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like. I mean, it was Scream, like, I, yeah, there were so many slashers that were referenced about it. Yeah, and what I, like, I kind of liked about it is, like, because, you know, if we're talking about, like, the derivative, you know, we're talking a lot about that, but, like, the fact that, like, you know, you go into it, and you're like, oh, yeah, I think she finally got them, and then they're still alive. You know, kind of yeah. has that, like, alien-esque quality to me, you know, like, where it's like, they're never gonna, they're gonna keep coming back somehow, like, they just keep spreading, you know, but I, I feel like it also gave this, like, intensity to those, like, killers of, you know, mm-hmm. um, like, I genuinely was like, man, this, this could probably go on forever, like, as far as, like, a series goes, but at the same time, I thought that was pretty brutal to, like, kind of give this almost relief, and then all of right. a sudden, we're like, Nope, we're ending on doom, and I kind of <laughs> love that. I kind of love when things end like that. Yeah, uh, just to add, just to add to that, they are currently in production of the sequel, and it should be out October twenty twenty one. Oh, nice! Awesome. Yeah, I would, I would, definitely I would watch definitely it watch it for sure. I would definitely watch the second one. My favorite kill, um, the one that, and, and again, I liked a lot of the ones. A lot of them were like homage type of kills, mm-hmm. but I really loved the one. And this might be a reference to something that went over my head. But when they're just sitting there on the, that little ridge, and yeah, they're just like my, talking, yeah. and then all, they look at her, and there's a spike through the back of her head through her mouth. Right. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, oh Jesus Christ! He just didn't see it coming. I forget the character's name, but like the guy that she was with. It was one of those things that I'm like, I was convinced that guy was dead. And then come to find out he gets killed by not one of these alien murderers, but rather just the local hick who is scared. Yeah. 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 Just a local scared I'm, hick. And it that I think uh, the character's name is Bartek. Um, but yeah, he has kind of an interesting, not necessarily arc, but storyline that he he lives on his own away from everybody else because throughout the film you learn that Bartek is uh, is a gay uh, gay man. I, I don't man boy. They're like older, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's a gay teenager, mm-hmm. and uh, I think this is something playing to the the director revealing attitudes in Poland being. Uh, more conservative yeah. than 
than he would prefer. Uh, because also at one point they also introduce a reverend character Mm -hmm. and the priest, the, the first few shots that you see of the priest are fantastic, uh, ways of revealing who a character is because he steps out of his car with these really nice shoes. Mm -hmm. He has a really, really nice watch on. And if you know, priests are supposed to be, you know, humble and, uh, impoverished yeah you know so, he's a prick right away yeah. yeah right away he's a prick and then when he gives his prayer it he just kind of rattles it off he mm-hmm. doesn't he's not he doesn't care but uh at one point bartek is escaping from the monsters he escapes to the church which is nearby the camp and the priest winds up taking him hostage and uh, trying to torture him uh, you know for being a homosexual and i found that one i found that scene odd because the priest ties him up and has a ball gag on hand. What is the priest into? Yeah, well, that was <laughs> well, what he I was saying. Was like, he said he remembered him from last year, though, too. Right, yeah. So you're so like, he, mm. that's yeah, what he, I was curious about. I was like, what, what, what were we trying to get to about the priest there? It was never, felt like it was never clear to me. I, I think it's the general hypocrisy and everything of, yeah. you know, just like, you know, general conservatism and is not, yeah, they, the, the director is not a fan. I don't believe. Yeah. I know. I know Poland is definitely like considered to be one of the more, certainly most conservative in a, in a homophobic way cultures Mm -hmm. in the, in the EU, especially when some of the other countries in the EU are like among the most, you know, uh, LGBTQ, you know, friendly nations, uh, Poland kind of sticks out in the sore thumb there, I think, in a lot of ways. So I, I was, I, I liked that they took it in a different direction because originally, what are that character's name, which I've already forgotten, um, <laughs> which he, <laughs> when he, he uses like a homophobic slur early on when he's talking to mm-hmm. like kind of jockish guy. Daniel. Uh, yeah. And then he comes back later and, and, and kind of opens up to, to, to the girl about, you know, about, about being gay. But, um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it, I was waiting for something to, you know, for that, that circle to kind of close with the priest. I'm like, what yeah. is it? Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Did he get I the mean, wood eventually, chipper? <laughs> he eventually got the wood chipper. So. Yeah. Yeah. The first, I wrote down, <laughs> I wrote down really Chekhov's wood chipper. Maybe yeah, the first, exactly. <laughs> like you, you look out the window and there's a wood chipper. You're like, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bartek runs past the wood chipper and you go, oh, why is that there? Yeah. And then. It turns on when the priest goes to investigate it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, uh, just to jump back really quick to that, to Brian, you mentioned your favorite kill of Aniela on the rock when she's talking to Bartek. I think the best part of that isn't just that it, how out of nowhere it happens, but then as Bartek's running away, they cut to that wide shot of the monster standing on top of the hill and lifts her body up oh, and just yeah. tosses it down the hill. And that's so, that's oh. so brutal. But again, it's in full daylight. You're pulled away from it. Yeah. And it didn't even look like a dummy. Like they did a really nice job. You really thought it was going to flop down there. Like, like it was, you know, full of straw, but it mm-hmm. was uh, yeah, that was by far my, my favorite, my favorite scene in the movie. I thought that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Th- I, again, just the whole film, uh, like I said, it's derivative. You're not going to find too much in the way of being surprised, but it still also has some of these social 
uh, cues that you don't find in a lot of other films. It kind of gives you an insight into, you know, the Polish attitudes because we mentioned there's a homophobia, but then there's also like problems with uh, obvious right wing, uh, the Nazis who show up. Mm-hmm. At the, oh yeah, at the they're end. celebrating yeah. Hitler's birthday or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the like white, right, and they even say like they're well known like local right wing right. extremist dickheads yeah. where they're like, hey, they're drinking and wearing Nazi outfits. Arrest them if you see them, kind of. Thing. Yeah, they make it. Yeah, they make a call in to the cop who eventually gets split in half. But yeah, yeah they call him up and say, you know, so and so are out and drinking and causing mm-hmm. a trouble. If you see him, pick him up, and he yeah. just kind of goes, eh, all right, I guess. But doesn't yeah. try to make any attempt at that. Mm-hmm. One thing I, I wrote down that I just couldn't, for some reason, just ruin, not only ruin, but it just stuck in my craw at the end of the movie, was when they're in the basement after the, the video game streamer kid gets his tongue bit out. Mm-hmm. He's pretty fucking chatty for not having a tongue. Am I wrong in saying that? Like he's, he's <laughs> I just know. Like, I've never lost oh, a tongue, mumble. so I don't totally know. Yeah, but he's I could, like, yeah. I, with that kill, like that murderer sorts, like I, I didn't think when I was watching it though that he was going to be one of the people to die, you know, because he kind of had that underdog character. They're building mm-hmm. him up to be this very interesting character, and I think you already knew that Zosha was like going to be your lead here, but uh, yeah, no. <laughs> Yeah, no, he definitely was talk talkative. Yeah, and I love how she was trying. She's like, I can't hear you. <laughs> yeah. I can't. You know why? Dude got his tongue bit out. Give him a fucking break. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, at one point in the movie, you, Can you do think like. you a little better? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm just can't think of it. But it's like. At one point in the movie, you do think like, okay, he's made it this far. He's probably going to make it the whole way. Right. Right. Yeah. Because he's a bitch for a little while there. He's just freaking out. Like I said, you kind of have this, like, I genuinely thought he was going to be one of the people. I thought it was going to be like him and Zosha, like till the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they 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 at least do give him a decent arc though of sure. finding courage, in yeah. that you know he does try to distract the one monster mm-hmm. at one time and then does come up and stab him in the back. Uh, he just doesn't know that, that how ineffective that would be. You're right. <laughs> yeah. What I I don't know if you guys kind of felt this way or thought about it or maybe I it's something I missed through watching it, but like I found it to be odd that like the killers were in such this mindset. Anyone in their way is going to die. Yet Mm -hmm. Zosha didn't die when there was a chance for Zosha to die. Yeah. I was waiting for like there to be some sort of reveal where, because they kept flashing back to her past and the car Mm -hmm. accident that killed her parents and all that. And I kept thinking, is she going to have the same virus thing? Like, you know what I mean? What's the connection with Mm -hmm. her and the killers that they were kind of sparing her, but they also spared, um, or at least temporarily spared. Um, I forgot his name already. The the kid that, that, uh, like I said, that uses the homophobic slur earlier, but then comes back later as being gay. When, when they, he traps him in the confessional, he hides in the confessional, classic slasher move hide in the only place in the room there is to hide like there's a fucking (laughs) it's like there's a tupperware tote in the middle of the room and he just got inside it Mm -hmm. um and 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 one of the the you know giant buddy buddy bacon guys open the door and he's just there and you're like oh he's dead it's an off-screen kill whatever why did they let him go that time right yeah i i i assume uh it's mostly based on food needs 
and whether or not yeah because i mean they they, the twins who start out the kids i mean they're just little kids right and but then their first kill is their dog and they're eating it yeah and then they have uh you later you see in the film daniel is all pieced up like and butchered up yeah so i'm assuming it's all based on food needs and whether or not somebody has attacked them that's true yeah they're not necessarily just like uh uh you know driven by you know a bloodlust or something like mm-hmm. that yeah because because the the monster that kills um the monster that kills daniel in the sleeping bag is not the monster that killed Aniela with the pike through the mouth so you could assume those yeah. are two different food sources yeah that, that, was that makes hit. sense one of them's yeah. got bigger more hangy boils yeah one's That's got more like... hangy boils one's bald and the other's not one's got overalls and the other isn't <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's why I, yeah that was buddy bacon that's the one i was going but he was different than than, than the one that was in the church i think but mm-hmm. this does lead me to a very important question though um where is jason alexander in this movie at what point i missed him is he in there at some point did i miss him is there uh, any discussion of the mcdlt well the the kid uh, the kid uh Yulek, he is known as poland's jason alexander <laughs> he's the polish now I'm, I'm imagining polish seinfeld and uh that's pretty good i liked it i liked it uh, uh, I, 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 here's my argument. I like movies like this that are like homage kind of movies because I've seen them from other cultures. And this one I thought was particularly, you know, well done, but it's hard for me to put a movie like this up, not even saying it's derivative, but it, there is absolutely like, it pays homage to a lot of other movies. It's hard for me to put it up against, you know, what we consider classics of the genre subgenre when they when so much of the value that it adds is is paying homage to movies that have come before it mm-hmm. i don't know that intention or you know inherently means it has like less merit or something i don't know just for me personally it's hard for you know if i'm even talking about like my favorite horror movies of the year or something like that you know uh, something that that is a one of those kind of movies that that pays a lot of homage to to movies of the past, it's even hard for me to put it on those lists because I'm like, it, it, it felt like a companion piece almost. You know what I mean? I don't know that that's fair to say, but I, I, I would rebut that with saying, even though this one does pay a lot of homage, it takes the time and care again to do the effects practically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a lot of people could just, you know, do the crappy blood splatters. They could do things off screen. Mm-hmm. This one is trying to do its best in capturing all those little moments that we loved from past films. And it does it with a more competent script as compared to definitely the burning because the burning is just all perverts. Nobody's likable. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, who, yeah. who is, who is the Polish Tom Savini? I didn't, I didn't <laughs> do the research on that, but I'm curious. I'm not, not sure. The Polish Alexander. I'm not sure who the Polish Tom Savini is of this film. Uh, that's I mean, a good question. I mean, looking at, looking at him, I, I felt like, uh, no, nobody sleeps in the woods. I, I felt like it was in a way like a fun movie, I guess. Like that, that's kind of how I, again, I'm coming from a totally 
inexperienced angle here, but I'm like, I'm like, I walked away being like, I enjoyed that. That was different for me at least. And like seeing those type of like thinking about a camp type scenario, even with anything that was derivative, I still felt it was like a unique take. But I, I think I always come back to if we're talking about camp slashers because there was such that like push for them even in the 80s and so on and so forth. And we've seen subsequently after that is that I still think timeless is like the word I come back to. So. Mm-hmm. And, and I like I liked the burning. I did. Uh, I think the only reason why I don't know. You don't have to lie. You don't have to sit here and lie to my goddamn face. (laughs) Patronize me in front of the podcast audience. You know what? I'm a kind human being. (laughs) And I know you, and I know that that isn't true. Um, Go fuck yourself, Brian. (laughs) You peckerhead. You're a real peckerhead, man. Yeah, so, but I liked it, but I think the other thing that, like, I, I prefer even about Sleepaway Camp was just, like, I don't know. It's like the continuity of it. I almost felt like the burning could have been like 20 minutes shorter. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of tight, but yeah, you're right. There probably is 10 minutes you could cut out of camp shenanigans, but just uh, Jason Alexander, he's just (laughs) chewing. When you got a man like Jason Alexander and he's chewing the scenery like he does, you don't, you don't stop him, right? You let him, you let him work. You let him work his craft. Um, so is the ultimate yeah. question here, is this where we're getting at? Is did anyone change their mind? Well, do, do you guys want to talk about, is there any one thing we haven't talked about that, uh, that you don't like about your own movie? I mean, I, keep I got going one. Back to, oh my God. It was like the, the actual like script. I feel like in a lot of ways, like super corny, very sexist. I'm like those, but those are like personal things that I'm like, yep, yeah, no, don't like it. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody is gonna, you know, anybody's gonna get an Oscar for screenwriting for Sleepaway Camp. Like I, that's part of the charm, though, right? <laughs> yeah, it comes yeah. with the territory. Right. Yeah. Sorry, I was about to cut you off, Steve. No, 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 it's fine. Yeah, I, I think overall, all three films do not have the strongest scripts. They're mm-hmm. not gonna win awards. Uh, I would say The Burning is probably the weakest because everybody's a pervert, but also. <laughs> the, the, just the general. Um, just, there's a weak. You sense blood in the water, and you're just pouncing yes, on me. That's yes, what you're doing. I'm sorry. Yeah, I see what's I'm happening. Sorry. I see it. I'm but sorry. Hey, I see it. He, he knows his audience. But, Look at me over here, being like, "Yeah, he's right." Uh, <laughs> I know. I feel very ganged up on right now. <laughs> the, the, I see the, how this dynamic's gonna work. <laughs> the, just the 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 motivation for Cropsey. He's supposed to be chasing after the guys who burned him. But he kills a bunch of women. You spend an hour of him killing women before yeah. he before the canoe scene, and then, well, he, even kills, then he kills the he kills the the sex worker right off the bat. Right, yeah, so, like, but he, he had nothing to do with him. Being that's part. what I'm saying. He's he's <laughs> he's tormented. He's fucking. He's out of his mind. He's a psycho killer. I yeah, mean, come on. He's a psycho. The, the man's a psycho killer. I know. I <laughs> so, was just step off so in my then, head as I guess well. I guess the conceit is he was already he was already a danger. Yes, he was a rat he was beforehand. That's why he got what he deserves. So in that argument, though, so why um, in Sleepaway Camp, why does he, why does he kill um, uh, all the kids in the sleeping bag? You know, when all the younger kids, they take him out oh. on the mm. you remember, they take him out in the woods. So that, they that don't was- do it. The only thing I can think of they do to him is after Angela. I'm sorry. After Peckerhead Meg 
throws <laughs> Angela in the lake. <laughs> Peckerhead Meg. <laughs> Uncle, have you seen Uncle Peckerhead? There's I've that's a it. sequel. I it's yeah. Yeah, I yeah, it's super fun. Um, anyway, um, after Peckerhead Meg throws Angela in the lake and she gets out and Ricky's like taking her away or the counselor or whatever. Some kids kick sand at her that are on mm-hmm. the beach. That's true. And, that, and that, I'm like, that's actually a good point. Did she literally murder a bunch of like ten year olds in their sleep because they kicked sand? I on think her? at a certain point she made a decision that no one here at this camp was good. Like I yeah. think because I mean that was that piece. The, there was also the scene where they threw a bunch of water balloons at her too. Yeah, but those were the older kids. Yeah, I thought they that, the that was that bro. That was that bro that wore jogging shorts when and Ricky never had a shirt was on. Like, Fuck you, you come down here. <laughs> <laughs> you I'm gonna. Yeah, they, those weren't pressure? the same kids. The kids. Yeah, that was Ricky dead on. Um, Ricky. No, but like those those kids that were in the woods were like, yeah, they were all like the little kids. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think you you remembering the point about them kicking the sand. And but I think that moment of her going in the water was also the flip. Like she's like, nope, no one really actually truly cares, or no one's gonna have my back. Because I mean, and that's when she after that point, Meg, Judy, Mel, the kids, and then that her boyfriend. So my point is the way Angela feels about the whole camp is the way Cropsy feels about the Earth. Earth. He's he's out. He is just out to kill light people. Of fire I'm going to fucking kill everyone. Sometimes people just like to watch the world burn. <laughs> I'll, I'll throw I'll throw out my my thing that we didn't talk about. I'm actually really surprised. Not surprised, but neither we didn't get too far into the plot. But there's one scene in the burning that is borderline unforgivable <laughs> for me, <laughs> and it's very late in the movie. It's when. Cropsy has abducted Alfred, mm-hmm. takes him to what I assume is the Legends of the Hidden Temples of the old. <laughs> yeah, and I saw Golden Monkeys, and I didn't want to say anything, but yeah. I'm pretty sure you're right. Um, no, but it, yeah, first of all, is that supposed to be the old camp because it's cement? There, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. In any case, in I don't any know. case, takes Alfred there to presumably lure Todd, right? Mm-hmm. Let's him scream, let's him holler so Todd would come because he ultimately wants to kill Todd. When Todd gets there, there is a scene in which he is meant to di- to discover I think her name's Karen's body. But instead, because she wasn't there that day for the shooting of that scene, they just inserted a really horrible quick cut from her earlier death scene that happened in a totally different setting. Mm. And it's horrible. It just take right at the climax of the movie. It kind of takes you out of it a little bit. Mm. And when you know it's coming, you can deal with it a little bit. But I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, wait, what the fuck was that? So like, it feels like the movie does climax at the canoe scene a little bit because that scene at the end, you know, even though I don't hate the ending with Alfred, uh, you know, stabbing them and saving the day, blah, blah, blah. Why do you have to insert that shitty, shitty cutscene of a previous? I think it was even a still image. It was fucking terrible. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, and I'm eventually... not going to win. I can tell I'm not going to win. <laughs> so I'm laying in. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, the, the one thing that stuck out to me, and 
maybe I just missed it. Maybe it's in the subtitles. I don't know. You guys can correct me if you want. Uh, we never learn why Zoja has to go to technology free camp. You don't. Why? Why does her? Oh, yeah. What well, the only thing does, I can think with that is that do you remember like right before the crash? I I didn't think at first, but then I started questioning. And I was like, was she the one distracting the guy driving? Mm, no, cause, no, because I thought the car wrecked into her family's car. Oh, I thought she was in that. Car. I feel I felt like there was something that was like, oh boy, now, now I want to rewatch it because I felt like there was something that was kind of alluding to, to it, but then they never came out. Yeah. I, I don't remember them yeah, ever coming back no, out and saying it. Yeah. There's, it doesn't seem like, why would she go to technology free camp? Unless it's just like she gets shipped around to camps. It sounds super as, scandalous as, though as, from uh, the, the counselor that was with that group of people was like, Okay, yep, nope, we're not going to read your Yeah, novel. yeah, she says we can yeah, talk about it later. Tell me when you're ready or whatever she's asking. Yeah. yeah. Which I, which which is what made me think it, it had nothing to do with the camp itself. It's just like Zoja gets shipped around because she's an orphan. Yeah. They just she's just like a troubled kid that they send off to camp because they don't know what to do with her in the summer. That's very possible. I don't yeah, know. that yeah. Uh, just another interesting note, though, about that crash. I'm pretty sure that burn is also practical. Really? Yeah. And they, uh, they, I thought I saw it on Reddit even before I even knew this film existed. Mm-hmm. I thought I saw it on a filmmaker uh, subreddit where they were, um, they they did the burn and then they placed the actor's face over digitally. Hmm. Interesting. So it's a, it's a huge for that type of stuff, like that type of technology. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's a that's an after effect that they put the, the actor's face on a crawling uh, crawling actor stuntman. Yeah. Afterwards, but yeah. Yeah, it was a good effect. I just assumed it was CGI. Yeah, I just I guess like I didn't take a super close look, but it was a pretty it was a pretty pretty intense effect. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah but, yeah. So I guess this this we've arrived at the ultimate at the ultimate question. I think we need some sort of sound effect. Yeah, maybe I can get there. I think at this point, (laughs) at this point, I personally feel it's fairly clear that no one changed their mind towards the burning. Is that accurate to say? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I'm coming to terms with this. I'm going to regroup. I'm going to take a whole different approach next time. You I'm did gonna, so I, well, though. I'm going to do like... some. I'm going to do some curls or something. I don't know. I got to get. I, I got to get psyched up beforehand next time. Um, but that said, did either of you change your mind? Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say I changed my mind because I've always had an affinity for sleepaway camp mm-hmm. it's hard to you know back away from it and it has the best line of all three movies of this guy blows dead dogs <laughs> so <laughs> i do um, not remember that in polish at any point right <laughs> yeah so I, I, if you look at uh nobody sleeps in the woods tonight uh from the perspective of somebody who's never seen any of these films mm-hmm. before like we all have history with uh, Sleepaway Camp, but if you're you know 18 and just watching this movie, you're gonna see so many things that you don't know are references. 
mm-hmm. but but it's really going to knock it out of the park for you to see all these gross ass practical effects, <laughs> like true. in broad daylight. So yeah, if I, if I'm young, I think this is a fantastic movie. But the history and just kind of the the pedigree of Sleepaway Camp, I, I would still kind of push towards that movie. Yeah, I so I think I echoed just a lot of what you said, Steve, because that's kind of like what I mentioned before was like I, I feel like if you're not thinking about the how things are kind of can be derivative on it, but like it was unique and it was fun in its own right. And it's something I don't think we have seen collectively in a movie before. Or even on like related to this subgenre. So so I didn't really change my mind. I still like feel like in a lot of ways sleepaway camp is timeless but i but i still have fun with nobody sleeps in the woods tonight so my number two that said i the only if given the option so it sounds like and correct me if i'm wrong steve you're switching your pick to sleepaway camp i'm not switching it but it would be my number two okay so sleepaway camp your number two yeah meg you're sticking with you're sticking with Sleepaway Camp. And his would and, be my number two. Oh, boy. Okay. So, so, it is. so it's, it's on you. Time breaker. This actually is working out well. Like, maybe we, it's yeah. like, yeah, whoever comes in the in third or whatever. So I, I still prefer the burning over either of these <laughs> movies. Um, and I even, like I said, yeah, I, even watch, I, really like, I really like them both. I still prefer the burning over, over both of these movies. Um, but I will say... Um, the one thing that I, I kept thinking the entire time I was watching Nobody Sleeps in the Woods Tonight is the ADR. And we didn't really talk about it that much. Mm-hmm. It was good for ADR, but it, I felt like I wasn't getting the actual actors' performances. Like, I couldn't get their tone of voice. I couldn't. Get, there were times where I'm like, the, the, the main protagonist, or again, her name is escaping me, she was awesome. And mm-hmm. I feel like I would have rather had subtitles, like, yes. uh, you know, and, and I'm not like, usually when I hear Netflix horror, I'm like, fuck off. Like, I'm just not even interested. I'm probably, yeah. you know, there are certain things that Netflix has done that are awesome, but typically speaking, I've been turned off by most Netflix horror. I think this was a really, really an exception to that rule, but I am like, the ADR took it took me out of it a little bit because I wanted to hear the performance of the individual actors, even if I don't understand their language, I can get their inflections and, right. and read the and read the read read the uh, the subtitles. So that that alone, uh, I I will probably I'll probably have to lead towards towards Sleepaway Camp. The champ is here. <laughs> <laughs> she's so diplomatic until she learns she wins and she's like, fuck you. You both suck. Hey. I played I played you like fiddles, you pieces of shit. Like the puppets. Meg the Peckerhead at Meg it again. That is my wrestling game. <laughs> well, congratulations, Meg. The the episode number one, Camp Slashers, has has gone down in history. Uh, and and you took it home. If I wake up with a crown tomorrow, don't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually I think it's really fun. I I think everyone had a great pick, and I I think both of you guys did an excellent job. I feel like I, I'm gonna come in strong next time on that 
I feel like you guys are very smart and I'm not trying to downplay myself, but I love it. I think you, we, you guys laid the different, the groundwork and I am so excited to do more of these episodes. So. Yeah, that was a blast. That was, that was a ton of fun. Um, that said, uh, I think what we'll probably do um, is in, in the coming days, weeks here, we'll, we'll put out maybe a little, uh, a little challenge uh, once this is released to, to listeners and to uh, our social media friends and maybe get uh, maybe some suggestions and then maybe do what, like a list of three and say, hey, you know, maybe we do a poll or something like that and say, of these three, which one uh, uh, which topic should we, should we tackle for the, for the, for the next episode? Mm-hmm. We'd also talked, uh, Steve about, uh, I think Maggie, we talked about it as well about doing maybe some little mini episodes in between, mm-hmm. right. Doing a full, mm-hmm. doing a full fledged episode every month. Um, and then doing some little mini sods in between to kind of hold over and talk about topics and, and other little kind of fun, uh, you know, horror related things that, uh, that, that we dabble in, uh, throughout the month. So, yeah, yeah, maybe a little short reviews of new movies that aren't necessarily going to be on, you know, the next big episode. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Well, this was rad, guys. Super fun. Excited to do some more of these. Uh, and as we mentioned before, uh, if you haven't already, uh, come check us out over on uh, Instagram at uh, at Halloween is forever. Got uh, Hallow Forever at Hallow Forever on Twitter, Halloween's Forever on the Facebook page, and then uh, yeah, feel free to shoot us uh, a note at Halloween is Forever Pod at gmail.com if you got some of them sweet, sweet suggestions for us. Um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to, to episode number two. Hell yeah. yeah! Maybe we put up a poll too to see, you know, were we right? Was was Sleepaway Camp the real winner of this? <laughs> I feel like overwhelmingly it will be. Probably, uh, I don't know if anyone's but... really going to want to come up against this, though. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to take on Peckerhead Meg. She'll throw you in the lake. <laughs> old, old Peckerhead Meg, she'll throw you in the lake slick as shit. It's All right. Move. Well, thank you so much, guys. This was super fun. Uh, for uh, For Halloween is Forever... I am Brian. I am Megan. And I'm Steve. Thanks for coming and spooking around with us. We'll we'll talk to you soon. 